this is the end Hold your breath and count to ten Feel the earth move and Feel my heart burst again For this is the end I've drowned and dreamt this moment So overdue I owe this Hello, welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond has been furloughed again, so he finally got time to hang up some of those pa- paintings on his wall that have been kicking around the floor for a while. So I'm your fill-in host, James Page from MI6, and this week... We are joined by Bill, David, Ben, Calvin, and Lisa on a very special day. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I'll do my best not to get hit this week. <laughs> David Lee here. I'm back after missing last week, and I am powered by gin and tonic and the official No Time to Die popcorn. Mm. That's where the budget for this episode went. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they sent me uh, they sent me four bags f- uh, to to try, so uh, I'm trying. Oh, right. mm. Yeah, you need four bags to know if it's any good. Probably <laughs> well, they wanted me to share them, so uh, I, I would yeah. have, have a popcorn, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Ooh, they're supposed to, they're supposed to um, taste of dry martini, but um, I'm yet to detect that. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a cool flavour. I would uh, flavour that on everything. Um, hi, I'm I'm Ben Williams. I write for mi6hq.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I am wetting my whistle this week uh, with a Modelo Especial. Um, michelada, uh, mango michelada, um, and some and some ruffle chips. Hmm. I'm Calvin Dyson, and I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel where I make uh, review videos for all things Bond, films, books, games, um, and everything else. And I am drinking a vodka and coke this week. Excellent. Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond, and I am drinking some champagne because today is my birthday. Happy birthday! So my comment is fueled by champagne and tequila, so... This is going to be an interesting viewing. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this. Oh, no. (laughs) If if it goes quiet on the line, we'll assume you just took a nap or something. You know what? I I was, like, purposely, I think I took, like, a shot, and my best friend, she's amazing, Joanna's like, let's do another, and I'm like, I have to be conscious for the podcast. (laughs) Like, I can't sleep through it. I need to contribute. So, I mean, I've definitely paced myself, but I could use some martini tequila, uh, 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 not tequila, martini popcorn right now. Right. <laughs> Something to soak up. Oh, I'm very honored that you're sharing it with us. Yes. Mm. Oh, I love all of you. I have such an amazing time doing these podcasts. I mean, I usually do research on my own, which is a very, it's fascinating, but it's kind of like a boring, solitary endeavor. So, 
this has been keeping me going. And especially since this is my birthday in quarantine. So it's nice to just reach out to people that I care about and be able to do something that I love on my birthday. So this means a lot to me. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm a sappy person. Don't let it, don't let anybody know that. Don't let it go to our head. So I think Skyfall is your pick, wasn't it, Calvin? It was, yes. Yes. We get to do the raw. Yeah, I do. Calvin and Lisa just alternating every week. (laughs) (laughs) The the irony is I'm picking, I'm picking films that have got like second place. Like, so every time I, so every time I go, well, it'll probably win next week then if I pick it and then it just falls off down to like 10% and I'm like, hmm. Well, I think our voters have an inclination towards the more recent and I'm defining recent as being from Tim Dalton onwards. Like of those, I think we only have two more Craigs and two more Brosnans to look at. Mm -hmm. Whereas, Mm. yeah, prior to that, what we've only looked at Dr. No, Moonraker, Fiore Eyes Only. I know. I think in October we're going to be doing like Connery every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah There's nothing else to pick from. All right. So this movie opens a little bit different because we have a CGI lion kind of effect thing going on. So if mm. everybody cues their copy of Skyfall to the iris of the lion just coming into focus, it should be three or four seconds into the clip. That's how we're going to sync up this week. Mm-hmm. So if everybody's ready, um, Calvin, as you won. You can do a CGI line raw mm. for this one. I've been practicing, by the way. Um, last time I did the raw, I was told it was a bit too dog-like, so I have oh, uh, practiced. All right, let's see how you get on. All right, okay. in three, <clears throat> two, one, play. Roar, <laughs> <laughs> that does sound a bit like a dog, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like Scooby Doo doing Scooby Doo. Uh, <laughs> Very Scooby this, this movie was actually the debut of this particular iteration of the MGM Lion, where, where they animated it. You know, you see the mm. film moving and all that jazz. Mm. Anyway, oh, I, and we oh, the like great it. shot, the great shot that meant we couldn't have a gun barrel, according right. to I, I went to an early screening in the US when this opened in the US after I came back from the UK premiere, and somebody in the audience in the opening night went, Focus! Well, I do like it. Again, stepping into that letterbox of light, which we talked about yeah. when we did Goldeneye. Well, and the, Bronson, and the Hollywood Bronson. Reporter runs these things where uh, Academy voters anonymously comment and, you know, in return for some honesty. So, like, somebody who was, like, really keen on Roger Deakins cited that specific shot as uh, one of the high points of the film, in addition to his other photography, but cited that first shot specifically. Hmm. So, and it so, makes you know, sense in- not to have the gun barrel before it. It does introduce of Bond course. really nicely. It wouldn't have the same impact if we'd have already seen him strafing across the screen. It's kind of a de facto gun barrel, mm. kind of, sort of. Um, at least that's how I rationalized it once I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> He's been shot in the heart. Better better compress that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like one of the- have his heart on the other side, though. Mm. Uh, that's true. 
So um, in the novel, he has his heart on the other side. That's how he, how he manages to escape. Um, yeah. One of the things I... I <laughs> so I... Um, so so the number of times that, that Bond says Ronson in this is quite funny. And it always reminds me of that bit in Jurassic Park where they go, um, Dobson, we've got Dobson here. Um, <laughs> you know, when they're on the beach. Um, and I just kind of, I kind of, I kind of feel like uh, that's what Craig is saying. Ronson, we've got Ronson here. Um, <laughs> I was reading uh, on the official 007 uh, twi- uh, Instagram feed. They were, they were posted this particular chase scene. And they said something along the lines of it's very difficult to make two cars in a chase scene with nothing else on the streets seem exciting. Um, and it never occurred to me before that they are the actual only two vehicles on this road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've not seen bullet. So, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really but like, is- I, but I do like the way that it's a way to introduce Eve as a character and the fact that, you know, James Bond has, very uh, specific ideas when it comes to driving and specifically women drivers. He's made those quips before. And as much as he sort of makes comments and gives it out, you can see Eve giving it back, like really mm-hmm. trying to uh, keep pace with him and and keep pace with the situation in this scenario. And I do like this as an introduction for her character. I think the film devolves in terms of her representation afterwards, but I really respect seeing her and her driving skills and just trying to make her way with the action uh, in this opening scene. Well, specifically, of we- she uh, she loses one of the rearview mirrors, side rearview mirrors, and mm-hmm. he says, "Oh," and he made some comment, and then the other one goes, and she, and she says, "Didn't need that one either." Um, and and that, that the example was- of what you talked about. And that was quite jarring, I remember, when first seeing this in the cinema. Bearing in mind, this is coming after Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, and Quantum of Solace in particular is quite a dour film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And here it's like, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're making a joke. They're, they're doing a right. gag, and it's only a couple of yeah. minutes in. It was quite a relief, really. And, yeah. and this, of course, was the only significant location shooting of the whole film, is this yep. pre-title mm. sequence. Because, and let's not which forget. Which was supposed was all, to be in India. In, all in India, yeah. Mm. Right. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, and they so cancelled it because because like, it was too- out of the, it, it, with the twenty six levels of bureaucracy at the train company or something they they couldn't organise the uh, the trains not to be running at certain times. Huh. Um, interestingly, on this, uh, the, the the those two motorcycles are exactly the same motorcycle models. They're yeah. just tricked up to look slightly different. Um, this again, this shot of them going over um, uh, the the covered market. Um, this, this was used in a couple of other, I think it was used in Taken and uh, well, Taken 2 or one of the other Taken movies. Um, prior to this coming out, I think, I could be wrong about this. Please correct me if I am wrong. Um, so it kind of lost some of its um, its sheen a little bit, I think. Um, but it is, and also the uh, just to talk about the CGI use as well, where mm-hmm. they're replacing actors' faces for one of the, I, can't, I guess one of the first times in Bond movies where they're, they're putting the masks on uh, stunt stunt drivers, stunt riders, uh, to to give us a real sense of the actors and, being in place. And putting lead weights in his tie. Yeah, hmm. um, and uh, this this mock up of the window, which a lot of people were very concerned because it's quite a famous window. Um, hmm. that they they'd ridden a motorcycle through it, but obviously it was a it was a recreation. 
Um, also, when they were filming this sequence, I saw this on social media. I don't know if it was a newspaper that originally ran it or not, but remember in From Russia with Love, Bond meets one of Karim's sons, you know, at a train stop. So mm. like that guy, they had a picture of that guy. That's and he right. Was like it he was. was holding a picture of himself from from Russia with Love. And of course he was obviously, you know, gray hair and all that, but uh I hadn't even stopped to consider that possibility when I saw it. it was, I saw it on a tweet or I remember the story. He was trying to be an ex- he was floating to try to be an extra or something in the film, wasn't he? I don't know. Huh. I can, I'm what surprised they missed that? that trick, to be honest with you. Um I I do like I like kind of Patrice. I think he's got a um I, I know he's wordless and he's kind of playing that kind of just um powerhouse of uh i mean he's he's a kind of a, a combination of of all of the kind of the wordless malaka and um uh m's bodyguard can't remember his name uh mitchell he's a, mm-hmm. sort of kind of a combination of those two he's just he's sort of a cipher for those kind of characters but i think he brings something a little bit maybe a little bit more uh, to the character in this film so maybe that's just my reading of it okay so here's another vehicle that's in custody of the Inflaming Foundation, I promise I don't mention. I only mention just to show that yes, somebody is actually preserving this stuff. Uh, Caterpillar actually donated it to the foundation. Huh? It's like costs like three hundred thousand dollars. It's yeah. it's a very expensive piece of equipment. Um, but yeah, it's 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 actually in custody in Illinois. Uh, they don't like to say where, but even though it's never mind. Anyway, uh, but yes, that that is. Uh, part of the Ian Fleming Foundation's collection of vehicles. I, I think it's going a little too far because it's really large. It takes up most of their, a big chunk of their storage space, but whatever. <laughs> and once again, um, Bond uses construction equipment and becomes the blunt instrument, and it leads to one of the most beautiful jumps and cuff um, mm-hmm. uh, adjustments that's quite iconic. Like when we think about images and scenes from this film or even just images of James Bond in the recent years, Bond jumping off of whatever we call this, a crane, a digger, whatever it is, um, I think is probably one of the the memes that is out there that you can that you can just sort yes. of connect with. It's classic. Mm. Mm. Uh, so Bond is, Bond is shot for the first, pretty much the first time, I think, apart from in Thunderball when he gets uh, shot in the, um, in the Achilles tendon. Um, this this has oh, got to be one like of the few. Calf muscle. Oh, was it his <laughs> calf? Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it may have been his a, Achilles. A but he's, he, he rubs his. He's, he's rubbing his thigh when he goes to sort it out. So uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, right. but, but yeah, one of the few and having your cars crushed. But oh, there's VWs on the recall for the diesel emissions. But yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know. Lisa sort of touched on this briefly earlier, but um, I think it's important to kind of show that um, Eve is is genuinely keeping up with Bond in in this. And although she's kind of tangentially in the action, like we often talk about how women are kind of taken out of the action and put in an, a different environment, and she is sort of outside of it, but she's also adjacent to it and, and taking a part of it. So I think that's quite an important thing to kind of put into, into that image into just there of him here. straightening his coat of course was yeah. prominent in the commercials but when they did the commercials they you i guess they used cgi to erase the blood stain mm-hmm. ah. Ah. Yeah, 
noticed that. No, I've never noticed that. that yeah, because, <clears throat> because I remember seeing it on TV first, and he has a clean shirt, and then I'm watching the movie, Whoa. and he's got a big blood stain. Whoa. Huh. Or they put the blood um, stain on with CGI. Mm. Uh, perhaps, yeah. Anyway, it's a, um, it's a good commercial it, commercial for detergent, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say about about Eve in the sequence. She she does fine until she listens to her boss. So right, but, uh, <laughs> that happens to all of us. No, yeah. but that's a really good point. I mean, when we think about her storyline. We have Bond who follows his instincts, even if he goes against orders. And for some reason, he's allowed to continue on, even though agents are disposable that we've already seen. The first agent has already died. We saw him sort of die with the bullet hole. We got Brunson here. But I think it's interesting when it comes to her is she does listen. She does take the bloody shot. She does what she's told. And then that's seen as being a mistake. Like she gets demoted because of because she follows orders rather than her instincts. And I don't like know, if but this might have to do with the gendering of the workplace. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but I don't like the fact that she gets demoted for following um, right. orders. Uh, that, it's funny. That you sit right. You, Lisa, your, your choice of words there, following orders, not instincts is exactly how M describes 008 in right. um, license to kill or whatever it is. Living no, living daylights. daylights. And it's interesting that how he kind of threatens Bond with the use of that agent, who he clearly yeah. has a respect for, whereas her her same actions get her demoted. It's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a disappointing kind of thing. But I think it kind of feeds into like I I do feel like there is a theme of failure um, in this film regarding um, a lot of the mm-hmm. characters, including Bond. I mean, you know, yeah. the film is going to end with Judy Dench being killed, and the whole point of what? the thing is oh, to no. rescue. <laughs> I, I think he, I you know, it. later on when he fights Patrice, he's gonna he's gonna fall to his death instead of be apprehended. I think there is mm-hmm. a theme throughout this entire thing of people failing. Really, um, the yeah. only person who doesn't doesn't strictly fail is Silver, who completes yeah. his mission. Okay. It's, mm. I, it has to be the, the only Bond film where the bad guy actually does what he sets out to do. Mm. He um, just doesn't live long enough to see it. Uh, by, yeah. by the way, I think Bond fell at least as far as Max Zorin fell. Right. From the Golden mm. Gate Bridge. <laughs> but Bond is mm. Bond. Mm. That's yeah, well, and, and, and if he died, it'd be a very short movie. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a massive... That's it. It's the fall. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a giant hand to save him, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, somebody, I knew, somebody I know used to say, it's not the fall that kills you, it's hitting the ground. Right. Yeah, a, uh, a, a friend of mine who's never been fond of the Craig films. Rubber, he, rubber Craig. I this, guess so, this, somewhere, somewhere in the archive is the Rubber Craig. <laughs> <laughs> if, he's been, if he's been adopted and looked after. <laughs> I think I don't want to ask. I, just, I, yeah. I was just going to say, he, he hated in particular the rain that came after they lose contact with Bond. He said, rain really really right um, but the, the funny thing is that rain is straight out of the books because um in in the yes. books very often when uh, bond is having his briefing from m there's rain hammering at the windows and so i, right. I really see that as, as a, a literary it, it, thing it, it well, is london hmm. and it's yeah. well, and it's also and, a good way of making them making them feel like they are in a location rather than in a set which is mm-hmm. what they are they're in a Absolutely, set looking yeah. out over a and so to have rain to say, against the windows. 
I was about to say, this particular friend, he also rereads every Fleming novel and short story every year. He calls it rereading the scriptures. So um, <laughs> he, probably, he probably knows that. But anyway. So just so, the credits, we should yeah. talk about how we first saw this movie, or in your case, Ben, the fifth time you saw it. Because um, <laughs> uh, we all yeah. got together before the premiere, didn't we? And then we all went to the premiere together, suited and booted. And Oh, but I just want to point out, I don't know if this is an actual kid that they used or if it's a CGI face, de-aged Craig. I've always wanted to find that out. We've asked them several times and they've always refused to, refused to answer the question because I thought it'd be a good trick as to like another person has actually played James Bond on screen. Oh, but, yeah. um, um, so we all arrived at the, uh, the Albert Hall for the <laughs> walk down the red carpet. Do you want to take it from there? Uh, so we we um, so we um, we we all arranged to meet at the Albert Hall. I got into a um, a cab, uh, which dropped me off at the rear entrance of the of the Albert Hall, um, and I was swiftly ushered uh, into into the rear of the Albert Hall and found my seat. Um, and I sort of sat there, thinking, "Wow, this is very empty." Uh, they had this. <laughs> They had the, the, the screen was up showing the red carpet and everybody walking down the red carpet. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really awesome. Uh, it must be amazing to actually walk the, the red carpet um, without, without realizing that that's obviously what I was supposed to be doing uh, and where all my friends were uh, at that time. Um, so... So the opportunity to walk the red carpet uh, for Spectre kind of was not taken away from me, but I kind of missed it by going into the back of the Albert Hall. Oh, sorry. for, for Yeah, I made up for it in Spectre and walked it three times or something. But, um, <laughs> I'm uh, going to walk this carpet. <laughs> I'm going to walk the hell out of this carpet. But yeah, for Skyfall, I... I, uh, I um, you got I to see us on the big screen, a, didn't you? I, was about to say, I did. I, I got this to see... a deliberate homage, but... Uh, uh, Orson Welles, the lady from Shanghai, like people cop have copied that for decades of the uh, glass and shooting at the glass mirrors and all oh. these multiple reflections. It's it's like aspiring filmmakers always like gravitate to it. Mm. Just uh, a, I, I'm sorry just for a, interrupting. No, that's all right. I was just gonna say just the last thing on that. Um, although for many people seeing the pre going to the premiere uh, of a movie is the first time that they're going to see it. As James pointed out, this was the fifth time I was going to see it. I'd been to two, I'd seen it twice in one day at uh, a, a UK and an international screening. Um, and a couple of other times that week. So I was kind of, I actually fell asleep in, in the premiere. <laughs> and it's not real, the best viewing real. experience either. They were all out at all. No, they were all out uh, It wasn't for us, was it? We got a, I think we got a bit of a um, an obstructed view, if I remember correctly, or is that yeah. for? Um, they're all. Yeah. all I don't think there is a good view in the Royal Albert Hall. It's awful. And here's uh, and here's the Fleming touch of uh, taking the obituary from the novel "You Only Live Twice" and inserting Turkey instead of Japan. One quick note about the titles we've just finished. Um, you know, the Bond films are like one of the last franchises that avoid the va the vanity credit you know mm. if a film by so-and-so or a so-and-so film hmm. um but but ever since oh uh tomorrow never dies the director credit tends to kind of stand out 
as the main title. So it was like, in this case, Sam Mendes was like in Daniel Craig's eye. Um, Mm. You know, it's it's like the one chance for the director to kind of stand out since I don't get my vanity credit. So I've got to make it, you know, I've got to do <laughs> something to stand out and more drinking at a British government offices. So that's great. Here. Yeah. You can clink your glasses at this point, Bill, to, to kind of add some extra sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> or just say hip. Um, <laughs> so there's Albert interesting things. W- woven through this film is Mallory unpacking his office through the course of the film. Mm-hmm. It takes him ages. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I find sort of interesting about this whole kind of transition from Mallory to M um, and, and going back to a kind of a more traditional um, office as well that we see in, you know, the end of the film in a sense, at the end of um, Casino Royale, we could have basically just gone back to the, the traditional office, um, having having M send him out on missions in the way that people kind of wanted. You know, a lot of people, a lot of fans say, I just want to go back to that old kind of school thing. But we actually ended up having an entire sort of film in several years um, something like six years before we ever got to see and, and the end of this movie as well, before we actually get to see that kind of setup again. You know, they actually gave it away in one of the TV commercials that ran in like the summer of 2012, at least here in the States, because there was a very quick shot of bond coming through the, um, the door, door. Mm. you know, like the old fashioned door, um, from a sort of classic M office set. And, um, I was on a message board and somebody had analyzed, you know, they, they had those little video blogs and they had one for the production designer, Dennis Gastner. And he, someone had done a freeze frame of all the storyboards on the wall. Oh, and that's like, right. Realized yeah. there was Timed a, them up. Yeah. And, and yeah. figured out that the film ended scene, in, in scene, the new M's office. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. But then when I saw that commercial, that guy was right. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and and I I said they gave it away. They gave it away if you knew what to look for. Right. And the vast I mean, majority of people wouldn't have. But the second yeah, I Tana saw just, it, yeah. strip the head of us. Tanner just looks at computer screens all this film. That's all he does, isn't it? <laughs> well, except, except for later when he ducks under the table in the climactic <laughs> scene. He also gets to have a Heineken at some point, I think. Yeah. He does, uh, yeah, when they're, does, uh, yeah. they're doing the tracking into Scotland. He gets mm. his redacted script and it just says Tanner reacts to screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Hmm. Um, yeah, people still getting hacked on their uh, hmm. on their Zoom, Zoom meetings. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's um, there that there's the alignment of M with the Queen of England. And so I think there's this broader theme throughout the film of Bond's true love in this film, because there isn't a proper Bond girl, is really his love for M and M stands in for Queen and Country. Mm-hmm. And I think there's and I think that the the film does a good job of trying to align M with uh the Queen in order to um overly emphasize that an attack on M and an attack on MI6 with the explosion that's just happening now is really an attack on 
not just London, but but England at large. And so Bond is then going to be loyal and come back in order to protect his first love, his true love um, that's embodied by M. So I think the film does a really interesting job with just that imagery to make that connection for us. Mm. It's uh, interesting how many fans negatively reacted to this, him drinking a beer in a hot country. Well, and the British tabloids were fueling it as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's not even the first uh, beer he's had in a film. Nope. Uh, he, he actually drinks a beer in Quantum of Solace, for, for example. So, yep. uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's not the first beer Bond drank beer in, in the books, too. So, and it's yeah, quite like a lot. Moment. I mean, he drank he drank Miller High Life, which is hardly a premium, you know, premium beer. And Diamonds Are Forever, the novel. Um, even though that um, I think Tom Ford is responsible for uh, quite a lot of the costuming in this, uh, you know, quite a lot of the clothes in this film. This outfit is, I think, predominantly um, high street retail kind yeah. of um, fair. Um, I think the Z- the shirt is from Zara. I think the jeans are from Zara as well. Um, mm. So it's kind of interesting that whilst Bond is on his kind of hiatus from MI6, uh, he's kind of dressed more um, every man, more high street. Yeah, more every man. Thank you, James. That's, that's the word I wanted to, to say. But he probably doesn't also have the budget. Um, <laughs> Tom Ford. Oh, where was this sequence filmed? Does anyone know? Is it Turkey it's still? Turkey. Right, it's Turkey. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, although this is uh, obviously a set, but yeah, the yeah. Uh, the exterior is a, a Turkey. Yeah. Are we all going to do scorpion shots for my birthday? Yeah, no. I've already done. Yeah. I've already- yeah, you provide the scorpions, and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can provide the scorpions and the liquor. Um, <laughs> Craig's uh, CGI animals again. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of CGI scorpions yeah. and mice. And, yeah. Um, and here, yeah, we are. I think Wolf Wolf Blitz is acting one hundred and one again. Hmm. See how terrible it is this time. Oh, I'm, I'm a little Wolf, behind. Read this again. teleprompter to camera like you did for the news. <laughs> All right. So we've got a mirror shot here that, that has the camera digitally erased from it yeah. as well, which I know is supposed to be non-fourth wall breaking, but actually I find tends to break the fourth wall because you're noticing that the camera isn't there, if that makes sense. Well, there's no hmm. way in space that you can see that angle. Yeah, so, so you're kind of stand – you as a, a person. Uh, so uh, this this comes – but this scene with the um, – Every coffins. time I was every time I was in a screening, I was trying to count the coffins as it panned down. Yeah. I never quite did it. So uh, this comes back to a little bit of what we were talking prior to recording, which was just the, uh, the this being 2012, uh, the Royal Jubilee, uh, and, uh, and the Olympics, and just the kind of the plethora of uh, Union Jacks or Union flags that we were seeing. I think there are eight. Everywhere. That was a Michael G. Wilson cameo, by the way, just there. And, we just missed um, it, yeah. And here's John Barry's house. John mm. Barry's house, yeah. Um, so not the last time. Well, it is the last time we see John Barry was in uh, License to Kill last week. But um, but his house remains. Um, I think The Living Daylights was last week. Li- living Daylights. Sorry, I keep getting those mixed up, probably because I don't care about them very much. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and this also harkens back to yeah this this harkens back to um uh, casino royale when she says you know never break into my home again right right um, mm. and he is doing it again welcome back with open arms but he really does come across as the prodigal son here as somebody who's sort of coming back you can see the maternal connection that gets yeah. really emphasized by Silva calling her mom all the time and creating this this sort of fraternal struggle. And I think this is a very interesting way of starting it up. And I like the part of this where she talks about, well, you're dead. So, of course, we basically vacated your apartment. You have nowhere to stay. You know, you shouldn't have done what you did. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like chastising him like a mother would chastise her son, right? You should have known better. You should have done better. And so these are the repercussions for your your actions. Um, But you can always tell that even behind whatever stern words she says, there's always sort of a love for and a belief in Bond. And, And it's one thing that I sort of question when it comes to M because her belief in, you know, the greatest uh, 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 spy that they have, uh, we buy into it as fans, but it also sometimes makes me question her judgment and the fact that he's not going to pass his test. He's really not field fit uh, to go out into the field and do the Mm. work that he does. And she's having her faith in a person and not necessarily in his capacity to do the job because at this point he's addicted to pills. He's an alcoholic. His body's out of shape. But she seems to buy into him, whereas, you know, when I read Money Out Pink, of shape. He's I was about Out of shape with the uh, six-pack abs. But, um, yeah, he, he should see my – she should see my corona body right now. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Um, your, your point is taken. I, I, it's yeah. just – it, to me, it's actually one of the weakest parts of the film is like yeah. he's supposed to be out of shape and he and he does the the uh, pull-ups and he's got six-pack abs and about 0.5% body fat. Oh, he's one so of the other, shape. So he's also wearing the same clothes that he wore on yeah. the beach. So that should yeah. indicate that he left he's, pretty much immediately and left yeah. everything behind. So that's quite an interesting aspect, which is like it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a shorthand for storytelling. Right. So that uh, this, this is, sequence uh, here, we're going to have. This was extended in the. Uh, they shot a lot of sequences here with like the injured guards and a raid and all the rest of it. And all got cut. This is Smithfield's Market, um, um, which is kind of ironic because that's that's not a remotely kind of secret location, and lots of uh, lots of trucks go in and out of there all the time. Um, if you happen to be in London, it's um, it's a very easy location to find. But yeah, you're right, James. Um, quite a lot of and i meant to say this earlier as well uh indeed the stuff on the bridge and in the, the stuff with the coffins um mendez did a lot more coverage and there's a lot more footage in this film than, than makes the cut um particularly with that i think there's an entire funeral scene that, mm-hmm. that kind of gets cut uh john did bond sort of jogging through the the, the park which we briefly yeah. pipe up which we briefly see in the trailer but there is a lot of stuff that he filmed that didn't make it. And when we've talked about uh, Martin Campbell as a director before, um, you know, we've, we've sort of said that, you know, he's a very efficient director. He kind of basically shoots and that's, he shoots what's in the script and it's there. As Mendes is much more of a um, shoot a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. And whittle it down later. Just can I have a quick word? I, I know I'm talking a lot, but about this set, um, 
not not this particular set here where he's uh, he's jogging, but the main hall of uh, MI6, both that set and the set that we later meet Silver in for the first time were specifically designed around dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the conversation that Bond has with Money Penny um, and the and the uh, Silver's uh, monologue are timed. To, yeah, they, to built, last... they pasted out and built the set yeah. around the pacing, didn't they? they built, wow. They built the set around the pacing. So that's quite an interesting thing. Yeah. Here he is, out of shape. <laughs> You're exhausted. I can't have a conversation whilst doing 50 pull-ups. <laughs> I mean, we can always we can always come back to this if you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, I had a pair of these trainers, uh, which I used to wear painting. Um, if I'd have realized how much in demand they would have been, I would definitely <laughs> have not used them as my, my painting shoes. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, though, the way that they use facial hair here in order to emphasize the age or the aging of bond right and that is sort of maybe more salt and pepper he looks a bit more unkempt and that there's going to be an emphasis on sort of the clean shave and him sort of coming through at the end as you know a full and fully formed or at least he's returned or he's resurrected or whatever they're going for in this film um he comes through with it at the end but i i think it's interesting the way that they're just using hair even though we know that daniel craig himself is in really great shape coming into this film, but I like the way that they're trying to mask it in some ways in order to underscore the fact that, you know, he's a little bit outside of say what the regulations would be. Although I didn't mm. realize that pull-ups were uh, a necessity to becoming, you know, a, a spy, but you know, maybe I should then be working out my upper arms. <laughs> which, which I, Lisa, I, I like the fact, I like the fact that they show that how important that upper body strength is when he's holding on to the underside of the, elevator later on you're kind of uh -huh. like why does he need to be able to do that and then you see a situation yeah. where he literally needs to be able to do that huh. um, i just want to sort of that yeah good point i was about to say and this character when i first saw the the first trailers i was wondering if it was based on what is it called sir james maloney yeah the law yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yeah. he was the guy that when bond was like in really bad shape after a mission kind of you know, they would send Bond to him, and he was the guy who got him back together. You know, he, he figures prominently in Doctor No and the Man, Man with the, the Golden, Golden Gun, Gun and hmm. probably some other novels. I'm not. They don't call. I believe the the character is not called that, but that's what this reminded me of. I didn't know hmm. if this was meant to evoke that or not. Hmm. Um, the um the the can I just say on the shooting scene that that is uh you know when he's shooting at the target it is a reference to uh, Butch and Sundance. Um, when he says, can I move? You know, when he's trying to shoot the target, you know, when they're joining uh, joining that guy's uh, group as uh, gunslingers. Mm -hmm. and, well, um, you know, it, actually reminds, it. it reminds me actually of another Western, uh, Rio Bravo, where uh, Dean Martin is an alcoholic deputy who used to be great with a gun, but, you know, he became an alcoholic because he chased after a woman who ditched him, et cetera, et cetera. And for a good, good deal of the movie, he's like really shaky, but then all of a sudden he pulls it together. And that, this movie reminds me of that, particularly later 
after Severin gets killed, suddenly he's able to shoot again, shoot straight again. Um, All right. New stage direction for Tanner, react to plastic bag. <laughs> yeah. But what, why did so, Bond remove it for himself? Why didn't he get the uh, Secret Service medic to right. do it? Oh, because so it's more dramatic. Here's the here, uh, here's the here's the shot. I think we're going to see of. Uh, so you'll notice that the timing of this um, of this shot is all about um, the size. The size of the studio, the size of the set is based on the on this uh, on this dialogue sequence. Um, interesting. Just just a quick note on on that. I said I said before that you've had Malaka, you've had Patrice. Um, and you've had Mitchell. Each of those are a kind of a wordless assassin who leaves behind a small piece of evidence mm-hmm. um, that Bond then uses to connect to go after the main bad guy. Um, mm. it, it's it's the same. It's basically a mobile phone. Um, uh, what is Mitchell? The ashtray. It was the crisp tenor in his wallet. That- it was a crisp the crisp tenor in his wallet. And and then and then the uh, shrapnel. So it's it's interesting that each of them follows the same the same pattern. There is and even Inspector, word. there's Marco Schiara with the ring as well in yeah. the first yeah. in the title sequence. Yeah, it's it's exactly that, Calvin. And so it's kind of like it's a motif that that goes through all of Craig's bonds, which is mm. a kind of a, a, a silent fight with a with a, a henchman mm. who leaves evidence to follow on. I wonder if part of the reason Bond hasn't shaved yet um, is that he can't hold a razor. Trembling. Because remember later, you know, she shaves him. Um, Can we talk about that bulldog for a second? Mm -hmm. Because um, allegedly, reportedly, the art department was asked to create something for him as a motif. And instead they went down to a second-hand antiques market and found that. And <laughs> then they found out later, allegedly, that oops, it's a Royal Dalton piece. We better get in touch with Royal Dalton. <laughs> so then that doesn't you know, surprise that's... me at all. That's why you got that recreation, is that? That's um, why we got the recreation of it. Yeah. It was supposed to be something unique. Okay. By the, the way, we're, we're still incredibly forgiving of the fact that Bond deserted because Mallory said, "Why did you come back?" I don't know. Mm. Some people might get upset that an agent just bolted while on a mission, but I guess that's okay in, in Britain. But uh, and I'm joking. Because well, he didn't come back if, and if try to him, did he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you didn't mm. try to kill her, so you get bonus points. We'll take you back. I think there's Lisa something instead of the, the coloring that happened, whether it was on um, the Royal Dalton dog here or um, the, the caskets, you know, the Union Jack and the colors. If you notice in terms of costume design, those who are loyal to Queen mm-hmm. and Country tend to be wearing like their uniform, which tends to be some sort of color of dark blue um, mm. throughout. And I think Money Penny not wearing it yet is supposed to be sort of a little bit of a question mark as to where she falls or who she is. But she does come through at the end wearing she's dressed entirely in blue and i think that the color of the red is interesting in the way that it streaks and it's something that shows through with the technology later on when you have q and looking at the computer design um it really looks like the heart of of london and the little red that moves from it are sort of like blood veins moving through the rest of the city so i really like the fact that they've taken um the the flag and really made it become 
a part of this Bond film in terms of its its just its visual style. Um, even like the the underground scenes here, they all have a bluish tinge. The walls look blue. Everything sort of has uh, that 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 hue to it. And so I think it's it's really interesting. I think this is a, this film is beautifully shot, but I think mm. also the way that color is used thematically throughout, um, I think, is really important. You know what? I'm reminded that in the earliest stages of scripting, they had hired Peter Morgan, a very accomplished, yep. very acclaimed screenwriter. And he came up with the idea that M had to go. But in his story, it was um, it was more Le Carre than Fleming. And that's right. uh, I think it was either Purvis or Wade made that observation in an interview. But uh, yeah, and, and it. It was funny because they made a big deal about his hiring. They put out a press release. He was going to work with Purvis and Way, and they were going to collaborate and all this stuff. But I got the impression just from little bits of news that came out here and there that they weren't really collaborating. It's like Purvis and Wade were doing their thing, and Morgan was doing his thing, and and then you know the the movie got delayed and. Morgan left and then he did a very peculiar interview where he says, Oh, mm-hmm. Bond is old fashioned. I'm not really sure it's it's salvageable. It's like, well, why did you hire this guy if he believes mm-hmm. this? I mean, I don't think a screenwriter has to be a fan of a property, but you know, at least like say, Oh, this thing is shit. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand. You know, the, the other funny thing about that, Bill, is the first draft that Haggis did of was it Haggis that did the first draft of Quantum had M dying in Quantum. As no. the as the uh, the agency to kick the movie off, and um, mm-hmm. they scrapped it. So Peter Morgan's idea of killing him wasn't original either, although it was it was hyped up like he'd come up with this like yeah amazing trigger for the movie. I think he hyped it up after the movie came out. It was my idea. Um, yeah. Just trying to hey, I worked on this movie. I don't have a screen credit, but I worked on it. Remember. So- <laughs> Yeah, so, we remember um, Peter. Yeah, we do. So this is uh, this is interesting. Coming back to the the actual movie, uh, this is interesting in the sense that uh, this this is one of the key themes to the film is is uh, is Bond's relevance. Um, using this setting, using this particular painting, and the the casting difference between um, you know Ben Whishaw, even though Ben Whishaw is playing. I think he's playing younger than he actually yeah. is. He's, um, yeah. That's the idea here. I think um, he usually does. He's just yeah, eternally youthful, Ben Wishore, even though I think here he's, here he's probably about 33, 34, but they are playing him sort of like fresh out of uni kind of age. Well, particularly yeah, his I, hairstyle is, mm, I think, plays into that. I, 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 that's probably I a deliberate like, choice. Yeah, I think, he's, I think he's supposed to playing, be playing kind of early 20s, I'm guessing. Which mm. is quite interesting because I mean he he can pull it off. He's very youthful looking, but he is actually a an older actor. He he's no com- older than say twenty five. Just to- yeah, but mm. to 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 know that they're actually contemporary actors really is quite mm. amusing. Um, and also that you know they've acted together in in films mm-hmm. in the past. But mm. there is the this film that got Craig the role. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh yes, that's this- right. But this dichotomy Which, between them is, is interesting, you know, this kind of like I'm this older kind of outdated agent and I'm actually the new face of MI6. I'm the yeah. guy that's going to be doing, you know, kind of more debt. He considers himself to be a kind of a a, a new school of double O, I suppose, um, mm, being able to, right. to, do all, 
do more work than these field agents. I, po- um, I pointed I, out in a 2012 post that uh, Wishaw's character killed Craig's character in Layer Cake, and somebody actually screamed, "That's a spoiler!" It's like it was like eight years at the time. It's like, <laughs> as, know, as, as someone who only saw that movie for the first time uh, two days ago, I'm uh, quite <laughs> glad I saw it then. <laughs> Can we talk about the it's, fact that that this movie provides us also with two different types of of in a sense, masculinity, different different eras, but different body-based types of masculinity. Because when my students watch this, I get the, ooh, Daniel Craig is still hot from them. But I also get the, ooh, Ben Wishaw is like absolutely adorable. And I would watch every Bond film if he's cast in it. And so he himself has really, he almost has like a faction of fan base um, based on the casting of, of Q. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's quite interesting that, it's offering us oh, different yeah. images or iterations and that it can tap into different factions of fan base who then might then come into the film to see different types of characters. And usually that's not what happens in a Bond film. You're there for Bond rather than being there for Q. Mm. That, shot, um, that shot of Bond um, from swimming. behind him in the pool was the first shot leaked out of this film. By mm. and, also, and also all of this so far... Uh, all of the Shanghai stuff, including the, the push-in shot on the pool, is London. That was a um, Virgin right. Health they, Club, they, wasn't they it? sent a second unit to get exterior shots, but that's all they got. But it's a CGI shot. That that push-in on that building is a CGI shot. The pool is is London. Yeah, this is um, also right. this, this, this is second unit or third unit or fifth unit or whatever it is. Um, it's like two guys to, with not, a with a quick with a with an iPhone getting the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not to take away from not to take away from Lisa's point about Ben Wishaw, uh, who is lovely, um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I I agree. It's it's interesting that he has his um, he has his own kind of yeah, because um, they, they they could have uh, they they could have gone for a more traditional cue, you know, in, in the kind of yeah. you know, I think that's what uh, John Cleese was kind of trying to do in yeah. uh, when, when is, he came is, on board, but it would have been a huge mistake. Mm. This, this is Shoreditch in London. More of an attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, whereupon this is kind of a, a true reimagining, you know, much younger Q. And- yeah, yeah. It's, it's also wise. a time when... Hang Ben, you want to keep track of the gloves during this? Yeah, I was just going to say, this is the moment where he's just been, so we're, we're in Spitterfield's market. Um, he's just been given off. his his um, his glove um, reader thing. Yes, it works. Look at that. You know, he's he's excited that his gloves, his gloved uh, pistol. But he, meanwhile, he's not very pistol. excited that that security guard got killed. Oh, yeah, and in the Chinese killed. release, they cut the scenes of all the Chinese people getting shot. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, but as I say, in, in the, Chinese, in the is... Chinese version, Patrice just walks straight into the building. Hmm. <laughs> um, oh, oh and coming up of... here in the score, oh, gloves are off. In the in yep. the score, uh, Thomas Newman does a Hans Zimmer wannabe. Uh, not necessarily this moment, but uh, when he grabbed yeah. the uh, under part of the elevator. Hmm. Uh, so basically, what happened was they thought it would be very cool to have. Bonds wearing a pair of the dense gloves, uh, which was all part of the tie-in advertising, you know, product placement, blah, blah. Um, so he has a pair of gloves that, that he puts on. 
um, obviously forgetting that they issued him with a um, pistol that can only be read fired if he has bare hands. Um, you see it in a lot of the public publicity shots and everything. So essentially, they had to go through the movie and and digitally remove his gloves. Allegedly, allegedly, I should say. But um, yeah, I, 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 I do I do believe it because in the in the casino uh, scene with the Komodo dragons, I'd noticed that his hands were a bit weird, and I wondered what was happening with that. And then then, then there was the story about it being digitally removed. So I, I do believe it. So uh, people people say it's in the it's in the um, Shanghai sequence. There was a lot of publicity stills released around the time from this this Shanghai building sequence where he is actually wearing gloves and holding the holding yep. the pistol, so holding the PPK uh, or the PPS rather. Um, and and so I think uh, although it might still have happened in in the casino sequence, uh, it's certainly happened here because we've seen shots of of, of both um the bit where he kind of uh, comes into scene just holding holding it he's in the publicity pictures he's definitely wearing right. gloves. gloves are off then that shot gloves are but, off yeah. by the way just as an aside uh norman wanstall who of course won an oscar for the sound of goldfinger used to be pretty active on facebook and uh he criticized that whole thing with Craig grabbing the under part of the elevator. I can't work. And he just, it's like, I was kind of like taken back. I didn't really realize. He Norman, that. Norman wants to criticize something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, I, it's, he's yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, it was new. To, it was new to me. Let me put it that way. Um, anyway, yeah, that, he's, strictly he, as he an had, aside, that's why I said, as an views, aside. Yeah, has, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's one of the guy. He's one of the original crowd. It's like it doesn't have Connery in it with it. It sucks. Um, yeah, but he's also hmm. like, well, let's not besmirch something for another day. Going yes. it, but social politics commentary, maybe not. I, d- I don't want to get bleeped again. So he and he and da- uh, he and Robert Daddy, He and Robert. So this shot here, where where Bond's got the the, the pistol, uh, the, the PPS in his hand, in. Was a leak shot, and he has gloves on in that publicity picture. Ah, um, yes, that's so, right. So I mean, he's definitely but, had it. They're definitely being removed for this particular sequence. Uh, the story um, goes that it was somebody on the production that realised they goofed after the fact. Um, so a couple of things here: you've got the um, the briefcase, which was made by Globetrotter, um, uh, to, that turns into a into a sniper rifle. Um, I had a I had the privilege of having a, a good look at this um, a globe trotter case. Uh, it's quite flimsy. Uh, it does have the handle is a um, is a telescopic sight on the on the actual um, product. It doesn't obviously break down into a rifle, um, but it is basically made of aluminium. So it's um, uh, it's it's quite a lightweight, but shall we say doesn't doesn't survive uh, knocking around too much. Um, Sounds like a An great addition. testimonial for Globetrotter luggage. They've got enough problems trying to sell luggage right now anyway with the global. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was just that particular that particular product. But um, I just want to quickly also say that we did talk about Dr. No and the paintings that were stolen. Yes. Um, this is also, this was a whole backstory um, for 
Severine, yeah. wasn't it, about her trading stolen art, which was taken so out of the these, film. So all these pieces here were genuinely stolen from uh, the Paris Museum of Modern Art. Um, about five pieces were actually stolen. So to to bring them into one, into this film, and then later on into Spectre as well, into Blofeld's mm-hmm. uh, layer, um, kind of tied that up quite quite interestingly. And this was like a, was it a seven or an eight story skyscraper set, set that they built yeah. on the 007 stage? Oh, wow. Yeah. Talk about how like amazing this scene is, the way that it shot mm-hmm. with the glasswork. Mm and the use of, of 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 reflections but even here i mean james bond is known for his silhouettes and here he is fighting in silhouette it reminds me of kill bill volume one with the bride fighting i love the the muzzle that it just illuminates their face so that you nope. know who it is who's gloves. actually fighting on gloves screen. are on again gloves yes, are on again you're right yeah but it is a beautifully shot yeah fight sequence overall in the trailer trailer, trailer, it's way more bounces off the wall yeah yeah, and it's also slow motion as well and i think it's more as lisa says it's a it's a more kind of artistic shot in a sense Mm -hmm. even though it's more brutal in the trailer it's a kind of a um, it's it's slow and kind of i don't know balletic almost just um, as well no brains and blood spat all over that priceless painting wasn't it? <laughs> you know this is the second bond film in a row we've watched where i'm now fixated on bond's hands throughout like <laughs> entire seconds i've mentioned that thing about the glove i'm just like huh and if that's so he's, so he's hit he's not wearing gloves now but the mm. point that the, the point is that patrice couldn't hold on to his hands because he was wearing gloves right. and now he's not yeah. wearing gloves I've never noticed so, that before, and he wasn't—he wasn't before the fight either. No, do, do, no, I, do, do I remember correctly that it, uh, they spent ten million on removing the gloves as well? <gasps> I don't million. think it was that. It couldn't have been that much, but it was some ridiculous amount. Yes, it's a lot of money. You I know, mean, was it, you, know, you, getting, you know what probably happened was from not doing that much location shooting, they could scrounge up a decent amount of money to do the CGI on the gloves what was it yeah, doing exactly on her laptop here like well she was actually looking at one of your videos calvin the names on the screen are all production staff here mm, i would yeah i would love to be uh, just a cameo as one of those kind of um you know mi6 agents flashed up on the screen be- by the way as an aside mm. that's a that's a common tv and movie Anytime you see a list, yeah, a hero is looking at a list of people. Yeah, it's the production team. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to know the names of the people that work on Eon full time, look at the inbox at Casino Rail on his laptop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen other examples. I won't go into specifics, but yes, it's it's a common trick because you don't so want to get a, sued. Here's a quick question for um, for Lisa. Um, yeah. I was I was having a conversation with somebody recently uh, online about whether um, Eve and Bond sleep together mm-hmm. uh, during this um, during this sequence or at the can end I, of the sequence. Can I spoil it for you? But you yeah. talk about it first. Well, I always I always assume that they did, um, and many people said that they didn't. And I I kind of my contention is that they they did sleep together, even though he doesn't know her name. Um. Uh, I I think it's interesting because, I mean, you have sort of like the classical Hollywood suggestion that maybe something happened when you sort of cut away 
But at the same time, this is a Bond film and we've seen Bond make out with and in this film, we'll talk about the shower scene, have sex with another woman on screen. And so it is a question as to why wouldn't they show it? And I think they like to keep it open as being a suggestion that maybe something could happen. It's the closest Bond could come uh, to to being with Eve. Um, But I don't know. I have some students who think that it happened and a lot who think that it didn't. So... James? So spoiler is, it was to be implied that they did, but then in the edit room, they cut it back to leave it to your audience's imagination. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which ironically goes back to um, comments that Lois Maxwell made when she was working with Connery on Dr. No, that the two of them had invented this backstory right. where they had gone off for a weekend and just you know decided it wasn't going to work out, but they always had that weekend in their memory. And that that was part of their, you know, their motivation for doing scenes. Now, you know, it's like at the time she said that, I mean, who knows whether she's just making it up or it was really true or not. But anyway, it's it's interesting. I've always liked the idea that they they, they did have something and they were being professional. um, I I like that relationship and I like the idea of adding that dimension to that relationship. Um, um, so Naomi Harris practiced shaving the crew <laughs> before the sequence because <laughs> they're more expendable. <laughs> I uh, I do find it kind of unbelievable that um, that they wouldn't that he wouldn't know her name. Um, <laughs> like they've been on this considering mission they wrote a song a- about that the two films ago. Well, he he goes yeah. and like he breaks into his boss's office twice. So you think he would like, you know, find some way to find out her name. He doesn't know her name, but he knows Ronson's name. Um, (laughs) And I, you know, Tanner's name, even though Tanner's the most bland person in the film. Here we are in the back lot of Pinewood. Yeah. Yeah. This is literally just like a big swimming pool. Like this is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. If you've, well, if it's, you've it's, actually it, been, it all has to do with the lighting, and it, it yeah. makes it it makes it if you, the lighting and the way Deacons you know does it like makes it look bigger than it really is. Mm. I'd, I'd actually mm. quite like to see a list of all of the Bond um, scenes that are actually shot on this particular bit of swimming pool that they have right. out mm. there. The the caviar factory is built on it. Um, from, uh, world's not enough. Um, in well, and given how it, Disney now controls uh, Pinewood, that might be a now con- a conclusive yeah. list. Um, <laughs> you might not get another one. I did. I used to have to chuckle when I uh, saw people going into screenings, and they weren't necessarily big Bond fans or journalists or whatever, and say, watch out for the CGI dinosaurs in this one. They're like, oh, you're so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Also, know, like, quite, just watch their reactions when that shot opened up. <laughs> Yeah. Also, 2018's The Black Panther definitely did an homage to this scene. The director oh, even admitted it. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's almost the same location, isn't it? It it it's so it, the the set is so similar. Um, you could almost intercut them and tell a different. You know, that would be one of that's something for a, a challenge for you people out there in hmm. quarantine land. Um, put Bond in Black Panther, or put Black put Panther Bond in Bond. In Black, yeah. yeah. Either either way, do it. Um, I'd like to see that um, in the same way that I'd like to see Bond in Isthmus 
and Bond Inspector kind of crossing over because they have the same hotel. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, um, it's a lovely set, and we're about to get into some stuff with uh, Severine, who, although she doesn't have a particularly uh, huge amount of dialogue, um, it's extremely telling, and I think this is really kind of Lisa's uh, bag, so I'm going to kind of let her... Well, take be- this. Be- before Lisa takes it, I just want to point out one thing. So in the dialogue, Bond comments about her backless dress, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's not backless. What? Uh-huh. No, what I, going I, on I know. There? Well, I can tell, yeah. I can answer that question for you, because originally that dress is backless. Um, costume designer, um, I think it's uh, Jenny Tamimi, um, yeah. ad- added it uh, because she wanted to add some more Swarovski crystals to it or something. Um, and... So that the original dress that they they used is actually a backless dress, and so that kind of ended up in the sort of the script, but then was altered by the costume designer. Yeah. They should have spent and, um, ten million dollars CGing the yeah. uh, the back of her dress out. I think that would have been a way around it. Uh, and the other thing that um, I handed she, off to she Lisa told now. she told us in an interview was she actually had prop toy Berettas that she would strap to a leg huh. to get so she'd know what it would feel like. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, airsoft. I think Severine, um, I mean, I've written about Severine. I think she's a character that I that makes me very sad. I think that, you know, she's sitting here and she comes across as being a very powerful woman at first, right? Uh, somebody who's in control, but it turns out that she's actually sort of a sex slave and was sold to the sex trade early on in life and is somebody who has been violated her entire life and now is a kept woman for Silva and she is clearly terrified of him. And I think we've seen other women like Domino Derval who've come forward Um and who come out of their narratives from a position of strength. I mean, Domino shoots Largo in the stomach with a harpoon and saves Bond in the process. So there is that possibility of um, stepping up and, and, and speaking out against your abuser. And I think for me in this case, what we see is she explains to Bond that she's been part of the sex trade. And then he walks in on her in the shower, which I don't feel comfortable with that scene whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then she becomes this disposable object of pleasure. She becomes the target of sort of a shooting uh, game between the two of them. And he barely even uh, acknowledges her death. He makes a quip about um, scotch rather than her. And there is no other moment where he comes back to it, where he will say anything about her and her death. And to me, she comes across as being one of the most disempowered women across the Bond franchise because of that fact. It is 2012, and really her representation is the reason why I edited my book, For His Eyes, Only the Women of James Bond. I watched this movie, and I do have an issue with the way that Moneypenny is represented, M is represented, and Severine, and all these women are disempowered for Bond to achieve his legacy. And it made me question, is that something that should happen or is necessary in 2012? Does Bond have to succeed at the expense of women? Or could we have a, a situation like, you know, Pierce Brosnan being uh, with with uh, Michelle Yeoh as Waylon in Tomorrow Never Dies, where he is uh, emboldened and empowered by the women around him. So for me, Skyfall, it's beautifully shot. 
I, I think that it comes across as being a very sort of uh, patriarchal, uh, pa- uh, patriar- patriotic is what I'm trying to say. The champagne Ooh. is saying patriarchal, both are true. Uh, film, <laughs> But I, I, I just question whether women have to be portrayed in this light and be disposable and disempowered for Bond to really come forward as being the hero that, that he is. And I think that there's very easy ways to make very subtle tweaks to this film where it didn't have to be that way. Can I jump I in real quick? Um, one, I don't think Bond acknowledges her death at all. Yeah. Um, number one. Two, uh, back in Thunderball, uh, Paula, who was you know an agent, she had committed suicide, you know, taking the suicide mm-hmm. pill. And there's this little scene, like Bond sees her body. There's this little John Barry music. He looks grim. You know, he knows it. Ha- you know, it, he, he realizes it has happened. Yeah. And he, you know, there's nothing he can do about it, but still, you know, Connery sells you on it. Yeah. And then a yeah. movie later with You Only Live Twice, Aki ends up ingesting the poison intended for Bond. And again, you know, there's this solemn moment. Bond looks at her body again. John Barry music plays in this movie. Um, you know, it's like Bond acts like doesn't matter to me we, and he like and, and not only that not only that he preens to silva later radio radio he's like you know you, yeah. you half expect him to start beating yeah, for, on his for, chest for me, to glow. For me I, that, that was a very unbond moment i i didn't um, yeah. i didn't think that it uh it, it, for me that that just isn't the character of bond at all yeah i i completely agree I, I do want to just shout out for Berenice in this, though. Oh, she's um, bloody great in what she's giving. She is. She, yeah, she's, I, I think genuinely I 100% agree with everything that Lisa has said about her character. I I do think that um, she's one of, to my, to, personally, I find her one of the most interesting and um, my, one of my favorite Bond characters I also think the performance is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she she stands out in this film, um, really amongst a, all what a, a fantastic cast. And considering that she is a, a relatively she inexperienced actor, yeah. yeah, she hasn't really done anything. She, at this point. she sent video auditions to Mendes and the casting agency like unsolicited. Huh? Yeah, and she to, to she get, learned, to get she, through the audition process. She told she told me that she learned to smoke for the for the movie as well because she she hated smoking yeah. um, and she um, she had to, to do that. Um, but I I do feel she like smoked seventy a day. I, 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 <laughs> she did. She smoked. Do you always really day. want a cigarette after these scenes? I must say, she does smoke them in such a way. <laughs> yeah, but I think her performance saying. is. Oh, I just I I think it's. Uh, it's 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 made more tragic the way that the script deals with her character you know the throwaway nature of it um and and the kind of uh, you, you know the, the the lack of kind of development of it but at the same time i think berenice marlowe manages to kind of do so much with that with that character and really kind of put a, a real performance out there on the screen can we sorry to interrupt but can we just talk about how the gun isn't active but the hammer clicks twice 
Well, yeah. and I just I have to mention this. These uh, giant kimono dragons like seem like taken right off the main titles of the Hanna Barbera cartoon show Johnny Quest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're not I like good. that moment where where Bond kind of just points at them. Uh, it's like, am I in a Roger Moore film? I mean, you just look at his face. I, I quite like it. I like he hops on one here to get out. I think it's yeah. It was like yeah. again, oh, like after the previous two Craig films, I was like, right. oh yeah, no, I'm I'm glad we're back here. Right, right. Well, and also that uh, Money Penny hel- helping him out there. That's like maybe her last best moment in the film. Uh, helping him out, basically saving his life. He would be dead. Yes, otherwise. Oh God, I really, I really hate this this scene so much that I'm I can barely comment upon it. And, Craig was um, so taken by this boat that he booked a rental of it. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Which, due to personal circumstances, got cancelled. Okay, here's the best <laughs> thing I can say about this scene. Read between she the lines has there. a bottle of champagne on ice, so she is expecting Bond. Mm. So a, presumably that be. means she is hoping she, Bond will show up now. Well, she, she, told him where she, she, was, she told him where she was going to be. Yeah. She, mm. Yes. Yes. Um, but all of those things aside, she, that is not necessarily a, a, a mark of consent or an invitation to walk into the shower with me. Please write um, me James. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and neither is it um, really considering her past you know she's it's not it's not you know what it's not right the, the thing is you know what you could have deleted the mem- the references to her being a sex slave and wouldn't have really like lost that much i don't think you uh, i don't think any of this really i i think it's important that you know it does add something to her her character to to have made her um this this badly treated woman and it does give her motivation for why she wants to get to silver and in a sense i think i might be wrong in saying this i don't think she thinks she's going to get out of this i don't think no. she's going to turn up at, at, at silver's island and he's going to go oh thanks for bringing but me this, james bond this is a little bit of um, the man with the golden gun here isn't it in the sense of a, uh, a kept woman against yeah. her will tries to use bond as a ticket out mm. yeah yeah, it's, exa- it's it's exactly that, and that- in a sense, I think she knows. I think she knows that Bond is going to be, whether he kills Silver and she dies, or whether you know, like she, I think she kind of knows that whether she lives or not, she has it, she has pulled the trigger on Silver in right. some remote fashion, um, and I think she's prepared to give up her her body and her life for for that act of revenge. I still don't think it's the appropriate way to uh, portray it on the screen. Nothing good ever ha- happens behind frosted glass in a Bond film. And so for me, that <laughs> reminds me a bit of like, I guess. slightly Thunder worried Ball. about Q and No Time to Die now. It's like <laughs> oh my God. Interfering and just, again, questions of, you know, just because, you know, you expect someone to come over for champagne, it's not an invitation to walk in, in, to you being naked. And I always speak on these uh, podcasts, you know, when Bond strips a woman down or does something like that. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not necessarily consent. Consent is, you know, consent is you taking off your robe and saying, come into the shower versus being naked in a shower and you walking in. 
Um, and even her reaction, is her reaction pleasureful? Is her reaction a bit scared? We don't know, but we can only go by the limited information we've been given. And it just doesn't track regardless of the intentions, just because a film is intended to come one way, it doesn't always track that way with audiences. And I've spoken to a lot of women who feel this way, but I've also spoken with a lot of men who watch this and they're like, Ooh, this does not feel right. And so I just feel as though that's just sort of a scene where just again, little tweaks, like would it would have yep. been helpful to, to, to make it feel a little bit more palatable. So to your point, Lisa, I think, um, yeah, she knows that she's probably not going to get out of this, but at least, yeah. um, at least she's the, the stone, the, the snowball is rolling down the mountain for Silver's demise by her actions, right? Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. And here we go to a real location recreated in CGI and on the back lot of Pinewood. And I don't think an awful lot of the audience knew this was a real place. Mm. No, I, I don't think I did. Did they have ever have an intention of trying to shoot at the real location or was it always going to be sets? Does anyone know? Um, I don't know, but I know that there were uh, concerns about the budget and yeah. I suspect probably and not. They only mm-hmm. built the first two stories and the rest of it is um, CGI set expansion. Apparently mm-hmm. the, the, the real city isn't that stable, so uh, they... Uh, they, they're quite careful about uh, who goes there and uh, numbers of people because bits of it are falling down. Severin says, I'm sorry. It's like, you're going to die. Like, why Why are you apologizing? I've just realized that uh, well, the reason why no one's been uh, responding to my, my shouts of like, it's a, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's because I had myself on mute. Um, <laughs> but, That'll do it. I was like, I was like, no, you can't, you can't go there. No, it's not a real location. And anyway, yeah. um, here's, here's the world's only data center that has no cooling. Yeah. <laughs> it's got breeze coming through it. It's got lots right. of breeze. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the, the, I'm, I'm fairly obsessed with um, kind of areas that have become, taken over by nature um there's there's all sorts of interesting kind of theme parks in china um that were kind of uh cities that were kind of half built that didn't um and obviously there's um pripyat in um in russia as well uh, places that are kind of um being being be- being beautiful once inhabited and, and were beautiful and have kind of being reclaimed by uh become derelict and reclaimed that's about so my, I, like my lawn at the moment, Ben. <laughs> um, I, was, I was about to say we're roughly an hour and 10 minutes into the movie and we finally beat Silva. Yeah. That rivals Joseph Wiseman and Dr. No. I don't know the yeah. exact time count on that. but uh, I, I think that, was, that, I think that was 90 well. minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it depends how you count it, whether his hand and foot count or whether it's his right. actual appearance. Mm-hmm. And proportionally, because it's a, it's a much shorter movie compared to this one. So mm, yeah. I like how they have to take all the casings off the computers. Uh, this this, uh, this push in here, right, and when the camera just yeah. drops down to to take him into frame, it's ah, uh, it's just a very beautiful piece of filmmaking. They're mm. eat rats. Well, um, and also when they were uh, building the set, they had to like, um, they had to make it big enough to uh, last 
an actor saying all these lines. So that was um, that was a case of the art department coordinating with the screenwriters, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think yeah. it's interesting yeah. to compare this scene with a similar scene in Spectre where you have uh, Blofeld at the Spectre briefing and all that. It's like, you know, introducing you to the main villain. And, it's, and this one is uh, so much more effective and better handled. Yeah. And I remember yeah, every time I saw this in the cinema, you could hear a pin drop through yeah. Silver's entire speech. Fantastic. In the Spectre yeah. scene, there were murmurs. There might have even been a little chuckle or two on a couple of um, viewings yeah. just at how kind of cheesy I think the perception <laughs> I, was here. Is think, just perfectly handled, and I think this is Mendez's theatre credentials coming out because it's two guys mm. talking with two chairs. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 This could be on. This could be on an empty stage, and you right. would. Uh, By the way, with a couple extras, you know, playing guards mm. in the background, but they have no lines. So. Mm. But yeah, but all you need, all you really need, is is these two people, and let's face it, Craig doesn't do a great deal in this scene. Um, I think you know, Silver is one of the, arguably one of the best uh, Bond villains. Javier um, mm. Bardem is, um, you know, he's having a lot of fun. So there's a there's a huge difference between say, the ham of Jonathan Price. Price. <laughs> and yeah, the I, ham it's it's, it's uh, curious you say that because um, Bardem is a really good actor and. I, I think the first time I saw him was in a, a Spanish language film uh, that I saw in Barcelona. But uh, in mm. this, I'm on, I'm on. The first time I saw him is what? Sorry, I'm on, I'm on. I think it's the first time I saw him. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, he was in, in that as well. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't like him in this, and I, I just, I, I think a lot of his acting is is very hammy. I also it find is. it interesting that like Bond is not in any of these scenes. I know we're talking about shot reverse shot and the way that conversations are being put through. He's not actually in the center of any of these frames. Actually, no, Silver's no. the one who's centered anytime that or or it's almost like the the, the camera is making room for Silva to be there, or it's just an mm -hmm. empty and I think that that's really interesting that, you know, this scene isn't about Bond. It really is about Silva establishing himself as being the former double O agent, being the former version of James Bond and trying to explain himself and cinematically like like it's carving out space for that to happen in such a way. And we only mm. get Bond, like reactions to it. I'd love to see the outtakes from this scene when they, <laughs> when they couldn't stop laughing. I was just going to say, this was another good scene to watch um, in the cinema, just audiences reacting to this kind of, you know, obviously Silver's sort of coming on to Bond here. Um, and sort of. people were obviously a bit sort of shuffling in their seats, a bit of giggles, that sort of thing. It it does add right. to these rather skewed, negative LGBT representation in the Bond universe. Mm -hmm. But he's a fun villain and, you know, Whatever it's it's a, it's a, always got a good laugh. Craig's re, uh, response to him about you know what makes you think this is my first time. Good line. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna. That's uh, that's the work of John Logan, and uh, he did some interviews about it at the time. Can I throw a question though to Calvin? Because I think this is a really important mm -hmm. point that you know. Um, when we look at uh, gay and lesbian characters in the Bond novels or in some of the early Bond films, there's this link between homosexuality, amorality, and villainy. Um, and mm. so whether we want to talk about Kid and Lint, uh, Wint, whether we want to talk about Rosa Klebb, um, mm. I know Jenny 
Black's written a lot about it in his Politics of James Bond book. Uh, there is this negative connotation. And so with this representation, I'm wondering... And it's something that I wonder about these later Craig films. Have we really gone so far? Are we still making that same link between here, villainy and homosexuality um, mm. or being represented in a different way? I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's interesting given the legacy of the way that LGBTQ characters have been portrayed in the past, that this is something that is brought forward. And then again, it's tied to villainy. Mm. Oh, well, I think you're completely oh, well. right. And I mean, like when you look uh, at, you know, even Disney films of the 90s, for example, you have Ursula and the Little Mermaid based on Divine, um, you know, Scar, Gaston, all of these villains yeah. are quite camp and effeminate or, you know, um, no, not in Ursula's case, but they are just, yeah, opposed to the, you know, sort of gender norms, if you will. Um, and that's certainly being reinforced here. And I think, you know, people have sort of read into the fact that Ben Whishaw's Q might be gay. Mm -hmm. And even then the fact that we can read that right. into him it is because you know oh he has cats and drinks old right. gray that's uh there's all a lot of fan art after skyfall wasn't there yeah. um, yes there yes there was and lisa uh, that the, the, that genre is called slash which goes back <laughs> to which goes back to uh star trek fan fiction kirk slash spock um but anyway i was about to say in there's actually probably really good academic paper to be done in terms of uh, gay influence on the James Bond series, because of course, mm. Peter Hunt, the original film yeah. owner, was gay. Paul Dane, who was a crit, you know, the second screenwriter on Goldfinger, was gay. Mm. John Logan, um, um, screenwriter John on this film, is gay. Mm. Um, and, and there are you can, others. You can take it back further, even because uh, Noel Coward was a, a Coward, friend yeah. of Ian Fleming, and he was gay, obviously. Um, well, anyway, my, my point being that, like, this is a, a legitimate academic, just saying, this is a legitimate academic field of study, and if it's been done, I apologize for not mentioning it, but uh, anyway, Ben, I, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. I just want to say that um, there tends to be a little bit of bi erasure um, when people talk about uh, yeah. LGBT. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I think it's interesting that you went to Calvin with that question. As a bi man, um, I think I have as much to kind of add to that. Um, well, just a point there, I, I directed it at Calvin because Calvin had the first comment. So I was just responding to Calvin. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to throw okay. that in. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, I butted in, so that's it's not – I didn't mean I, to – no, it's fine. I just, I just feel, feel like there is, there does tend to be a propensity to kind of like that doesn't exist or is not like a valid kind of thing to kind of look at. Um, I think all of these things are very interesting kind of ways of um, sexuality. Looking at these movies, and I think as um, I think it must be as as a purely um, gay man, it must be one thing to look at these films and uh, and as, a, as an entirely straight man it's an entirely different thing to look at these films but as a kind of a, as a bi man watching these films it's um you you get another perspective as well um and i think it's often one that's kind of uh neglected and not kind of uh, discussed or talked about mm. particularly um and i think you do often get people kind of go well, what's the what's the, the gay aspect or what's the gay gay view of this film and what's the straight view of this film. But there are 
um, that there are lots of um, kind of lots of shades of of sexuality in between that that mm-hmm. um, I think. <laughs> And, and certainly here in this film, I mean, with Silver, you know, um, Severine was clearly his, yeah, sex slave. Um, he kisses her at one point, um, you know, just a few moments after sort of rubbing Bond's legs. It's like it's here in this film, probably more strongly than any other film yeah. in the well, series. Which, just which, to mention oh, which, the uh, CGI helicopters in Japan with Union Jacks on. But, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which, is why, which is why I wouldn't normally have kind of jumped on it maybe so, so uh, hard as I had to. Um, but I think mm. it's because because I believe that silver is representative of a bi man, mm. um, and I do believe that you know he is he's clearly a villain, and I think it's hard not to to tie villainy with bisexuality or pansexuality. Um, mm. Well, the other um, thing we talked uh, about last week a little bit was also villains' asexuality uh-huh. as a thing in the series, yeah. all the way back to Vargas, right? Yeah, mm. I mean, Var- what do you do, Vargas? What do you yeah, and it's <laughs> well, yeah, what do you do? What do lottery? you do, Vargas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just real quick though, um, the whole thing about slash fan fiction that is across many, many, many fandoms. So, mm. in in fact, I think for in the case of Bond, it's kind of relatively new because of Craig and Wishaw, and and I the examples. Someone pointed out to me, it's like, sent me a link. It was like mostly like artists as opposed to fan fiction stories, but it's out there. So anyway, just adding that. Mm. And we're going to, we're going to see a nice kind of aspect of ableism as, as, as well. Mm -hmm. So not, not only do we have a villain who is bisexual, but he is also, um, you know, uh, has disfigurement. And uh, again, it's another thing that the films and the books have done is to kind of tie villainy to disability. Um, Craig as Bond, or um, in fact, pretty much all Bonds are uh, a physical kind of perfection. You know, we, we look at how he, you know, even, even as Bill was saying earlier, you know, he's got a six pack, but he's still not considered perfect enough until... Right. <laughs> And, and then you and then you get to the villains, which you know are, are in some way kind of disfigured. Um, or, and, and I feel like, um, as as a person who has disabilities as well, um, it, it's hard to kind of watch that um, and not and not take something from it, and not and yeah. not feel like there is a direct kind of correlation from it. Hmm. Mm. Two quick things. We uh, we just got past uh, Severin's demise, and it's a crummy demise. And uh, it is. <laughs> it, w- it would have been nice if like Bond could have like looked at her. It would only took it a few seconds of screen time. Yeah. But they didn't because he's you know he's bragging the quick thing about radio. radio. It's yeah. that that's one of the things I like least about the film. And now we uh, now we see uh, Silva in uh, imprisoned at MI six. Yeah. So this is this, this is the dark night, the dark isn't it? Night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this yeah. is all the CGI. All the CGI budget went on those gloves, so we're left with this shot of his mouth. Yes. And and also we're just uh, that we're, we're supposed to believe that Silver has engineered yeah. this imprisonment, but there are literally, I mean, the idea that Bond even picked up that casino chip to 
make the connection to go to, you know, what if that, what if Money Penny hadn't put that case down on that guy's hand and Bonner got shot in the head? Right. Civil would have like, sent him a letter. I mean, there is there are so many factors, so many variables that take us to this particular moment, uh, and also kind of the, you, you know, the, the I've I've got the police. I know that she's going to be at, at a particular meeting at this particular time. It's it's an it's a practical impossibility. And this is uh, Silva's Joker moment after he takes the denture out. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah. I saw. I've, Bond's thinking. I saw that movie four years ago. Never mind. Yeah, I know what you're gonna do. He's gonna. He's gonna Frosted escape. Glass. Frosted glass. And also, going you've back, got going back yeah. to Lisa's comment. Nothing happens yeah. good when there's frosted glass in a Bond movie. I think that's a great comment, Lisa. Um, it's it's interesting too that they always just leave just one hapless. Slightly right. overweight guard. To, the villains, uh, the villains always, well, in this case, the heroes, well, we got stuff to do. We can actually keep an eye on you, except for this overweight guy. So I came out with one of the early press screenings of this, and two of the journals I spoke to on the way out said so Silver was a six foot two, maybe six foot three Caucasian with blonde hair, and he was their best agent in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the best, the How best Spanish work? agent. Yeah, fluent, fluent in in Mandarin. Well, they, Cantonese they said what his real name Spanish. was, and we heard it, and I couldn't, I don't remember it. So Silva was not his real name, but still, it's no, like he doesn't look. Well, like, it, I mean, he does not look Chinese, it, obviously. Well, he raises right. a really, he to be a foot taller than everybody. Then. He raises a really good <laughs> point about it. Raises a really good point about MI six and something I've noticed, and I and I've wondered this. Um, I always wonder, given, you know, just the racial demographics of the UK, where are the Asian characters? Where are the British agents Mm -hmm. who are just racially Asian? And instead, oftentimes what you get, at least from the British television shows or cinema that I see, um, is sort of a mirroring of the racial demographics of the US where race is represented, say, in black and white terms um, with very Mm. limited racial diversity be or, or ethnic diversity beyond that. And I do get sort of a comparative sense here. And when you look at the racial demographics of, of the UK, when you look at the fact that, you know, um, you look at all the colonies and you look at population demographics, it does raise that question. Like, why is your best agent in Hong Kong not an Asian character? Um, and, and, and it's a gap for me in this and it's a gap for me broadly in the Bond films. Um, and, and, and I, I, I think that there's, there's again, easily populating, you know, the background, having different characters, there's ways of, of having your film represent the actual demographics of your population in ways and Mm -hmm. and those are subtle tweaks, but they mean a world of difference for people who say I'm not being represented in the films that I see. Also going back to Lisa's uh, theme about screw ups. Oh, Q like plugs in this rogue laptop into the yeah. MI6 mainframe. Oh, big mistake. Right. So here's the thing. Um, nobody makes really a, a laptop with an Ethernet jack anymore, let alone two. So, <laughs> David, I don't know if, if about you, but that really pissed me off. <laughs> was, was that true? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think okay. I remember seeing on the message boards a lot of people were like, "What the hell?" It reminds <laughs> me of when they did that fake um, war room uh, thing from uh, from Trump's 
you know, where they, where they basically just piled a load of cables in the middle of a table to try and make it look like they were Right. Know, they staged. <laughs> no, I, everything, everything about this scene that involving computers just uh, uh, I, I can't, I can't watch. Just makes me want to cry. Actually, <laughs> I think it's yeah, meant to be more is... like visually and thematically connected rather than being like like computer accurate. Like I think visually, mm. like as someone who I know nothing about technology and nothing yeah. about computers, like but I, I, I could, I could tell you this: the letters in Granborough aren't in hexadecimal. So, <laughs> but it works um, for someone like me. I'm, I'm with Lisa on this. I'm kind of, I don't know how, you know, what this is supposed to even remotely look like, and yet I'm like, yeah, I'm with this. It's a, it's a key for the. <laughs> they get the map from Chair. it. <laughs> Chair, chair, <laughs> chair. Uh, there's an update of chair. I love this oldest stuff that's going to happen in London. By the way, like the fact that we have a big action sequence in London. I know most yes. of it is subterranean London, all this kind of stuff. Um, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about what this movie meant coming out in 2012 with the Olympics, 50th anniversary, all that kind of stuff. This came out sort of just shortly after I'd spent my first year in London, which was sort of with the you know the Olympics and Jubilee and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this was kind of capping off 2012, which was a very exciting year for me. And just seeing mm. so much of London on screen and on the tube and all that kind of stuff. I really got a huge kick out of this, even if they screw up the types of tube that Craig goes yeah. on in a bit. Yeah, uh, yeah that's... film that is shown in attack on London. I mean, I'm thinking of the world... I had to think about it. The world is not enough ha sort of has it at the beginning, but this mm. is probably one of... I think this is the only film that has really a concentrated attack at home. It's always Bond going elsewhere, traveling elsewhere, having destruction well, done elsewhere, universal exports. And this is now a threat at home. And I think there's some... Mm very strong impact and how personal it feels then um, for Bond to be running, you know, in the tube and down the streets and how, how dire yeah. his mission is because it's not somewhere else. It's the politics when they come back and, and they hit you at home. And I, I guess sometimes yeah. I about American politics and American foreign policy. And I mean, we haven't really had wars here in the United States. They always take place elsewhere outside. And so we don't have to deal with the ramifications of the yeah. actions or the geopolitical actions we take. This is a film that turns it back on its head and says, you know, geopolitical actions you took over here in Hong Kong, they're going to come back and haunt you, um, mm. you know, years well, later. So we, we haven't had in the U.S. except for that little thing called the Civil War. But yes, that was a long <laughs> time ago. Um, also, also, MI6 is supposed to be you know, international. And that's what I was going to say. Bond is supposed Bond to be... Bond not only Bond is in the beginning, he also acts without jurisdiction for the rest of the film. Yeah, <laughs> right, nothing yeah. he does, nothing he does on British soil is is essentially sanctioned. Uh, mm -hmm. This, I should also just say, this this ruined my uh, article, uh, my series of articles on Bond's London. Uh, yes. So uh, I'm I'm most most disappointed that they they shot this film in London for that reason. Because <laughs> you have just, to rewrite it at some point. Because I have to rewrite an article <laughs> at some point. Um, for the for the American but, but audience, MI five is like the FBI, and MI six yeah. is like the CIA. So, hmm. so the, the, um, and you know, you know, the funny thing they were tying all the continuity together, Inspector. Like they they got their heads twisted around. Like C is the head of MI five. The angle they should have took on MI five absorbing MI six was well, you guys acted outside your jurisdiction on British soil, so we're absorbing yeah. you. That would have been that 
totally just <laughs> would have made sense. Steve's oh, yeah. actions. Never thought of that, yeah. but yeah, totally right. Like you yeah. screwed up. You screwed yeah. up. And so you're take well, kind of screwed up as well. So <laughs> Calvin is Calvin is exa- is 100 right about the uh, tube geography on this. And anyone mm. who regularly takes the tube, as I did for many years, um, would be would be kind of <laughs> kind of annoyed by this. I mean, I know it's <laughs> I know it's fic- a fictional world, and a, a, you know it's, it's uh, but a lot of this is a lot of this is set. This is a um, uh, the a set for the, this particular station, but they also use Charing Cross. Yeah. And there is also um, a disused... Um, for the bits that are not on the platform, it's Charing Cross. Yeah, basically it's Charing Cross. A, a, this is a set and some and the muster station, the muster areas are, are a disused um, a disused tube station. Uh, mm. So we should mention, not the, first, not the first appearance of a disused uh, tube station. Mm. No, it's not yeah. the first. Um, Who wants to say it? <laughs> Die another day. There you go. I'm not the 40th uh, anniversary. You've got to get one in it every episode. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Which ironically uh, was one of the best scenes of Die Another Day in the mm. disused tube station. But mm. Not bad for a rush hour, uh, mm-hmm. by the way, that Bond is like, this is fairly like, reasonable like, for a rush like hour. It's like 2.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> the, uh, I mean... Calvin, most this of the is time, when you... the blinds here, <laughs> the health and safety. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> um, one of the things about the tube is that you would you would essentially be standing two or three people deep, um, mm. wait, waiting your turn to get on. Um, this this is not a crowded tube by no, any no. means. No. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it is. It, I think to Lisa's point of it, of it kind of bringing it home. It, it also brings it home for a lot of British viewers as well, and mm. you know that that kind of raises the stakes. And to, to Calvin's point before about this being, you know, one a jubilee year, uh, also the fiftieth anniversary of Bond, um, and and a couple of other things as well. Um, uh, you know, the Olympics. This was a this was a time where everything was extremely British, um, mm. and we were reveling in in that. It was part of the zeitgeist of that time. So I think you know it would have missed a trick if if this hadn't have been right. a kind of a home soil film. Mm. Quite agree. Yeah. Meanwhile, what okay. is missing in a bomb movie? We need uh, we need a committee meeting. Meanwhile, <laughs> Tanner has just noticed that oh. Terrorists are approaching this meeting. Mom, <laughs> you should perhaps do something. Shut up, Tanner. And it's like, oh. setting, so, up, uh, setting up my least favorite sequence of the film coming someone up. We oh, know. I love this. I love this whole sequence. Yeah. This is oh my favorite. I, I, I'm, ta- I'm talking about the poem coming up, not not this well, that, particular. That- that distracts me because it's the exact same poem that Fraser Crane uh, yeah. recites in the last episode of Fraser as his big sign-off. So, whenever right. this plays, I just think of Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this this sequence in the tube is fine. Mm. Um, it's tense, although 
I you can't do this. Sorry, really this is a stupid thing. Between those, uh, <laughs> those, those little, those little things. Yeah, and that really annoyed me because that, that's if a, you look, that's if you look the... closely, there's one on the floor. Well, I know, but you see it in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff um, that they were like Silver was kicking them off as he yeah. sort of went, and for some reason, yeah, there's only, as James said, there's only one sort of that's left in the film. Uh, but it ruins my suspension of disbelief. It's you know, like I can mm. I can believe that we've got this globe-trotting you... spy, but I can't um, believe that you can imagine, slide down the middle. That's the... okay. We ignorant Yanks didn't notice it. Can you imagine <laughs> all the Can you imagine all the security folks who work on the tube going to see this movie and just holding their head in their hands, like, oh god, police and twelve-year-olds for the next year. Uh, yeah, like hmm. this door that's this open, like. Oh God! There's so many things. There's so many well, things that kind of um, just. Meanwhile, Tanner's thinking we should go. We should go. Tanner, <laughs> we should really. Tanner, get out Tanner of here. reacts. Tanner reacts to a mobile phone. So a, a friend of ours who, who does a lot of writing about film went to visit the set on the day they were shooting this, and of course they didn't explain what it was or anything, and he just sent me a text like later that night saying, "M's in a court case on trial." Was <laughs> the message? I was like, uh. I guess you could see it that way, hmm. um, which is how like fake spoilers and uh, rumors about movies come out because that was somebody's take on what that scene looked like mm. in passing. Mm. Uh, just to um, Ben's point, what he was sort of making about um, how the uh, the leaps of logic, uh, <laughs> the inconsistencies, I mean, just the, the whole idea that this is Silver's plan to escape. And, you know, Hugh has that line of he planned it all down to the thing. Really, he planned that you were going to chase him on that tube. And he seemed to be improvising a bit when all the security were out there. And he knew to plant a bomb here. When exactly? Because he <laughs> well, knew that someone... Specifically. And, and he train, knew when an train, empty... Uh, the train... Yeah. Subway train was coming. I know. <laughs> had no this passengers is so... on. I Here it comes. all that being said, I don't care. I think it's fantastic. It's entertaining. I, I'm with mm. it. Um, it was yeah a, a good while later on that that even occurred to me. I think it works for first time viewers. Um, yeah. and that's a sign of a good film that you're just you know entranced by it and not thinking about the logic. Um, it's, a, it's the kind of thing you might think of on the way home from the theater. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that this whole thing. sub this whole crash was done for real at Pinewood with a set, but nowadays yeah. I think a lot of audiences probably just think it was CGI, but mm. it wasn't. No, real. you can that you can feel you can feel. I think looking at this, you can sort of see that it is. I mean, mm. but I think the, the the problem for me is that it is an empty train. Yeah, you know, a like, rush hour, you which can... would be disappointing many people on the platforms if that turned up. <laughs> uh, the other thing is you don't see a shot. Of, you don't see a shot of the driver coming out rubbing his head. Uh, yeah. yeah, the only thing mm. I can think of is like, oh, we need an extra set of cars, like send them out there. And he goes, rush hour is worse than right. normal. But mm -hmm. this was a turning point for me because you see active duty police officers getting shot. Mm. Well, yeah. well, actually, no. okay, we're coming up on the poem, and it's like, I didn't like this the first time I saw it in the theater, and then when it came out at home video, I watched it, and I would try to like figure out. So, how many innocent people have gotten killed because M insisted on reading that damn poem? <laughs> and and I could not come up with a firm number because the Silva's men look so much like the real cops. And it's like uh, after Tana six or seven, I gave up counting and just I couldn't go on. But uh, yeah, like M is very self indulgent in my opinion. Mm. And it's just, I, I just, it's <laughs> awful. 
You do have to it's, wonder, yeah, what would have happened if she'd just been like, oh, yeah, you know what, Tana, let's go. <laughs> let's not. Like, yeah. Would Silver have just turned up and be like, oh, oh she's not, not There's, um, it's It reminds me of, like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, I think it is, where there's, you know, a, a whole London Underground sequence. And it, it just sort of felt very kind of, it felt very Call of Duty for some reason. Maybe that's because I was playing it at the time. But um, I, I felt like there was this kind of, you know, this element of kind of uh, London terrorism and yeah. The, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just—I I just want to point out that husband has died between the events of Sky yeah. uh, of Yeah, yeah sadly died. Also, <laughs> but she. A, uh, a British Bond well, fan lecturing. They, they might have. They might have just got divorced. She divorced him. He got the. He, well, no, he got she the says lun- her late. Her my late husband. Uh, mm. So maybe, well, <laughs> if they got divorced, he died swiftly afterwards. Yeah, he got the um. He got the first flat though. He got the the flat from Casino <laughs> in, the, uh, in the divorce. I love this whole shootout. By the way, I do really. Five six. There's at least six. Do it then. To answer your question. Go on, go on then. But I love You've the fact that she doesn't okay. flinch. I mean, I, mm. I, I will M for, you know, not doing something at the very end when she's face to face with Silva. But like when she's standing there with a gun to her face, she doesn't move. And I think there's something mm. to be said about, again, fight or flight and all that stuff. But she really mm. does stand up to him in that in that way, in that moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I love this sequence, the editing, the shots, the, the visual storytelling for an action sequence is really, there's no one shot of just someone right. shooting for the sake of shooting. It hits someone else that triggers another event, or you see it's it's not mm. like, I'm reminded of uh, The World Is Not Enough in the Caviar Factory action sequence, which I like, but you do just have people firing machine guns for the sake of people firing machine guns, and it's yeah. cool. Here, everything is so well-paced, well-timed, it all it's kinetic, it tells a story visually. Um, I think it's really, really lovely. And it suggests a future between Bond and Mallory working together, right? The fact that the two of them at this moment are looking at each other, making moves, supporting each other, and that it's suggesting that in the future this might happen again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I counted nine people getting shot by Silver's folks. Mm. That's a lot of people. Um, (laughs) Ten, I guess, if you include Mallory. Was Mallory included in that? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So, mm. so Mallory gets Mallory gets shot as well. So ten people, although he doesn't die. Uh, ben uh, Collins does this uh, this stunt where he drives around the corner. Oh, I think it's really good. Car. How close he gets to the yeah. pedestrians, and it's really nicely done as well. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. But obviously, um, M's, M's personal protection <laughs> uh, left cool. the keys. Left the keys in the car. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tanner's not having a very good day. We've established you know what would be that. Funny? Is if there was just a shot of like Colin Salmon standing next to the car, rubbing his head like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> mm. And and for me, from now on, the movie goes quite downhill. Um, what? Yeah. I, for me, no. not because not because of we've had, um, we've had the downhill not because of bit. the. <laughs> well, look, this, this whole thing where he goes, can you lay a trail of breadcrumbs, but that only he would know is there that, you know, it's just, it's such a hand waved kind of thing. And then Q's like, of course I can do that. I don't really know what that would be that, 
it's not really explained how that how that particularly works, but there's a trail of breadcrumbs apparently, and then yeah. we go to one to of this one of one of Daniel Craig's one's many storage compartments that he has. I I find this this moment to be a bit of a letdown, um, but I think that a lot of people would disagree. I think, you have to buy, I, th- I think you have to bisect yourself from Bond fans and general audiences because every so screening is, I went to, cheer. general audiences got a cheer. Cheered. Yeah, I remember. I remember we were sitting there. I think we, we did we go to the press screening together. I think um, so. Yeah, I think this. I think I remember this got a cheer and I groaned. <laughs> oh, no, how would you groan? This is like a great reveal. I think it's lovely. It's it's a real nice hero shot of it being unveiled. The music, the first time we've heard the you know a, a nice bit of the Bond theme throughout the film. It's I I, I was fully with it, and um, yeah, and then Spectre I, came along I, and kind of. I uh, did want to know. I did want to know saw what Aston board- Martin's reactions to this were when when Judy Jones says it's not very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, uh, what, what they should have done though. In- Instead of the Aston Martin in that garage, they shouldn't have had the two CV. Oh, Tanner having all the of Heineken. What are you drinking there, Tanner? Just out of interest, can we can we see that again? It's been a loosen your tie kind of thing. <laughs> I think Sam Mendes in his commentary points out this is like he referred to this as the three Hamlet scene. Each of these actors has played That's Hamlet right. on stage at some point. Different type of Hamlet. Um, I think, uh, yeah, um, I did see. Um, oh God, um, <laughs> having a, a Tanner uh, in, um, uh, in. Well, um, Kinnear Rory Kinnear, and Richard Rolder yeah. and Richard the Third, weren't they? Yeah. So I, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen, I've seen uh, Rory Kinnear uh, mm. in theatre doing it. Um, he's, he's a fabulous actor uh, mm. it's such a shame that he's only given kind of react to this screen uh jobs uh, in this um in this particular series he really is um worthy of <laughs> of so much more i saw him in othello actually and um he was uh just luminous in that um mm. so anyway um this this is this is actual scotland mm. um where this bit where Bond's standing there just looks like he's having a wee. Um, somebody on, I think somebody, there's a YouTube out there where she gets out of the car and they've added the sound effect of him just having a tinkle. <laughs> and it's quite mm. funny. And she's just, and he's doing it right now. Right? And they're just going, and she's just having a conversation whilst he's going, <laughs> uh, which I thought was quite, quite amusing. Um, hmm. But this is, this is real Scotland. And then we go to Surrey. Yeah. Um, right. Which uh, I think is kind of you can see the, the the difference, you know, not just the CGI mountains, but I know I, that this is as cat- a kid. As a, I was going to say, as a kid, um, my mum's Scottish, so as a kid in the summer, we would go up to the north of Scotland for two or two or three weeks. And um, when I saw this on the big screen, the hairs on my back and my neck did go up. It was like, I, yeah. yeah, you know, this that's, is to me. Beautiful. This to me, this is like the coming home part of the movie. Mm. Um, because I grew up in these, um, you know, in the summers, up yeah, in these kind of landscapes, and mm. it is fantastic. And look, obviously, this shot here is nice. The nice CGI mountain in the background, um, mm. and it does it does kind of fairly well, effectively recreate it. Um, but 
and I don't have an I don't have an objection to Bond coming home, or even this kind of Home Alone slash, um, you know, uh, I kind of whatever the fuck Peck and Par. Is now. Yeah, yeah, Peck and Par. Thank you very much. Um, why is it you know what I'm thinking, James? Yeah, we've um, known each other long enough. We can finish uh, our own sentences. I know. <laughs> Uh, not, not even finishing my own sentences. It's just literally going like like a part of my thought process. Um, but yeah, it is it is a very strange thing that like I, I don't mind this at all. This this last thing. It's not it's not traditionally Bondian. It's the exact opposite of the big a spectacle scene with you know various fighting forces against Bondage. It, it's kind of keeps it nice and tight and oh, like uh, Fiora's only ish at the end yeah. with the monastery. Yeah, it's 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 straw dogs. It feels very straw dogs. Um, but it's um, but I it, it's more that it was more the Aston that upset me. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it fits in with the themes of the film and just I mean I, I love that the climax is Bond and two old people like with, with a, a, yeah. a makeshift bunch of weapons. Um, for me, like as a Bond fan oh. growing up, as I did in the nineties, Judy Dench was the constant through every single film that I was experiencing growing up, and uh, you know thinking of her as something of a maternal figure for the franchise and the fact that the third act of this film is so much about protecting her, keeping her alive, um, the stuff that she's done in the past, it's very much her film. And I respond to that every time. I, um, I'm, I'm ver- kind of totally with her, really, more than Bond here. Um, mm. But that's why I, I love this this whole finale. I think yeah, it's great. you got Dench and um, Albert Finney, two of Britain's greatest actors of their generation. This is the first time they worked together. Oh, wow. Um it would have it would have been Connery because I spoke to I spoke to Greg Wilson about this um, mm. at uh, um, at at screening for uh, one of one of the many screenings I went to of Skyfall. Um, I, I I asked him about you know whether they I kind of half jokingly sort of said you know was Connery kind of um, intended for this part, um, and he said oh you know well we did it was originally written as that. And we did put feelers out, but he wasn't—he wasn't interested. I, I would have um, absolutely hated it if they'd done it because it, it would. Yeah, have, likewise. It, it would have pulled. Yeah, me too. It, it would have. It would have just been such a, um, a kind of shock to yeah. to see it happen, and it, it would take me out of the film completely. Mm, yeah, but I just—I just find that it's 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 interesting that uh, Greg would even admit to that. Right. Rather than just going, no, we never, no, we never even thought about it. No, it was just a character. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I'm glad. I, I for one, Mendes confirmed it too, did. didn't he? That they actually tried. Yeah, and it makes yeah, complete sense as well with like the character coming out saying Bond, James Bond. Like it makes mm. sense if that was Connery. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, I'm very glad it wasn't. I think he would have made uh, a better Blofeld. Like, I think Connery, if it wasn't Christoph Waltz and Spectre, I mean, I'm an outlier on this, but like, if it would have just been a reveal and we all think Christoph Waltz and it turns out to be Sean Connery, I think I would have enjoyed Spectre a lot more because I would have just been like, what are we watching? In a different way. It would have been funny, though. I'm the author of all your pain. (laughs) (laughs) That would have worked much better, yeah. If it, only he wore the teddy bear costume the, the, right. uh, from, from the Avengers. <laughs> oh, God. That, mm. that was the only, only way I could watch that. Mm. 
Oh, God. I mean, look, it is, it's a beautifully designed set as well, I should just say. Um, you know, one of the things that people tend to focus on is all of the kind of, um, uh, you know, the modern stuff and the kind of ex- ex- extravagant stuff. But, um, you know, this is, this is really very good at selling that this is a um actual house genu- an actual old house it, mm. they, they do it so so beautifully how to know that it is the, just how do you feel about the description of the house i think he says like the old girl has her own secrets and there's a mm. lot here about like coming home but it's about judy dench being the mother and then the tombstone with you know bond's mother who also has m in her name how do you feel about even like the house itself like there's a there's a lot of feminization going on in this mm. scene and it's like they're in the house is it womb like judy dench dies with a wound to her stomach which is sort of the way that mothers die cinematically in a lot of action films um there's just there's a lot of stuff happening and then bond is, or she escapes through like the hidden caverns which could be considered you know birth and stuff like that mm. metaphors so and water i mean i can literally just like give you like a whole like feminine reading of just the elements of this particular scene and the and fact it, that birth of bond well lisa he goes into that room for mm-hmm. several days and just states there right yep and then um and then emerges from it as james bond uh-huh. that's basically the idea when finney says you know he went in there a, a boy and came, came out, out a man, man. Yeah. it's it's essentially saying that yeah he in the in the way that um, Fleming went into the water in, in Goldeneye and then came out an author, um, you know, it, it's the same sort of it's the same sort of kind of thing. You know, he's he 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 grows within the womb of that that house, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, is it Skyfall? I, I I Skyfall's the first film where we see James Bond uh, become James Bond again. Yeah, <laughs> i i do I do find it kind of at odds with the the bond that we know to know that this is his childhood home and this is where he's been brought up. It's so isolated. The idea that he is this sophisticated man of the world who understands, um, you know, taste and uh, he's an arbiter of taste and um, he's he's so kind of worldly to have him grow up in such isolation uh it, it seems sort of at I, odds I, with the, i don't i actually don't see that as a problem because i mean he would have traveled with the navy hmm. or the sps yeah. as they were for yeah. this, this version of bond anyway yeah and it would have been uh yeah sent to, sent meanwhile it's well. like what sam mendes said mm. that he was like taking this from the dark knight and the christopher nolan film so it's like why should we be surprised that uh, mm-hmm. this is how Mendes would depict it? It's so Batman. You got a butler, you got the house, you know, I, I mean, I, and the thing, I think, I mean, I like Skyfall, but I, oh, this is going to get me in trouble. I don't actually like all like the new Batman films. Like I, I'm not into them. I find them to be very boring, drawn out, melodramatic. and, and, and Yes, so- I'm, I'm 100% with you there. Okay, good. Okay. Because I feel like when I say that, I'm like, I am going to like have a lot of people being like, why don't you like these films? And I'm like, I don't know. But I feel like this <laughs> no, they're, they're really, really hard work. Yeah. That. The, yeah. that, uh, to, to your point, Lisa, I actually like The Dark Knight Rises the best out of the three, and that gets me in trouble. <laughs> well, I like I like Batman Begins so. the most. Um, 
I think a lot of Batman fans don't like the don't like Rises. They don't like Tom Hardy, and there's issues with it. Mm. But I I really like it. I don't Mm. know what you mean, James. I went to an advance. I went to an advance screening of the Dark Knight. Uh, rises um, where we were asked, <laughs> yeah we were asked we were asked to give our feedback on the Dark Knight Rises um, and uh, you know give a, they give you a form to fill out and one of the things was that um, Tom Hardy was was more indecipherable in the original edit than he oh, is oh yeah oh yeah they fixed it yeah yeah they had to fix it <laughs> and, and I feel like I'm I'm partly responsible for that because my one of my uh, one of my comments was can't understand a fucking word he's saying <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> in fact going back to uh, going back to uh, not understanding how bond could have been brought up here it's in the middle of surrey so mm. not that far to travel to London, <laughs> <is it? laughs> that's true that's true it is just surrey um, so they um they 3d printed an aston martin for this they did yeah wow. they did and, and several um, sizes as well i should yeah. hasten to a um, so I've got a photograph of me standing next to one of the one of the many 3D printed Aston Martins that they did, and it is literally a foot long. Um, they did they did a full size one as well, I think. James, yeah. But, um, well, I think but, it was like a third or two thirds or something. It was. Yeah. It was pretty big. It wasn't the. Full thing. I was about to say, um, at the time they were building this um, stately Bond Manor. Um, there was like a a blogger. It was like yes, a this hiker blogger. lady that she yes. took all the pictures. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and then there were like all these obnoxious Bond fans, like saying incredibly nasty things about her. How dare you? Yeah. You have ruined our experience. Blah blah blah. Right. It's like guys, the they're guy building this out in the middle of a public space, and it's like someone comes across it and happens well, to blog about it. Shut up. You know, um, it's. Technically, it's MOD land, but there's a right of way hiking trail through it. Yeah, um, and she, so, she yeah. actually sold some of her photos to I think it was the Daily Mail, but it could have been one of the other tabloids. And uh, yeah. she got a legal letter from Eon. Yeah, mm. yeah, they did the same thing recently with No Time to Die. That's uh, right. Well, they tried that, to. That, well, they tried to, but <laughs> yes, um, yeah. The, yeah, I seem to remember but that. But unfortunately. Uh, you can't, the, you can't do. Yeah, I mean, what, well, what the point think? I brought up is like how obnoxious some of the Bond fans were. Yeah, they, they were, were like, terrible. like saying incredibly vile things about it. Like obnoxious Bond it's fans. Only a movie. <sighs> Shut the f up, Bill. If you knew some of the things that people said, oh, um, if I only knew, like, like I've gotten some of those things. Trust <laughs> me, I, I know what people say. Yeah, there's there's some bad things. People say some bad things um and you know what it is a lot of it is jealousy of access mm. like uh, they're only annoyed because they weren't in on it yeah because the thing it's, is like whatever I, I forget all what she posted but the thing is it doesn't really tell you that much about the damn movie you can see okay there's some pyrotechnics it's like pyrotechnics in a bond movie Gee, who could imagine that? <laughs> yeah, but you know what it did, though? It, it triggered like the Daily Mail and those guys to send photo- photographers out yeah. who then camped the place and took pictures of the explosion in the house and the finale and all that kind of stuff. So I could see yeah. why Ian, Ian got pissed about it because they managed to keep a lot of it under wraps until that one, uh, but, you, you know. But, but I'm not talking about Ian. I'm talking about fans. And that's, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. 
Because um, I, I remember back in, you know, I mentioned Dino the Day again, when they were shooting the North Korean beach down in Cornwall. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of ours lived down there and he went to the set every day and sent us pictures. We ran them on the website and we got a bunch of abuse. It's like, you've got to tell us where this is because we need to go. And all the rest of them are like, no, you don't. <laughs> Holy well, Bay. It's like, no. Hmm. I do, I do really quite like this, um, you know, Apocalypse Now kind of playing the music out of the, um, out of the helicopter kind of reference. Um, Giving you know, M the flashlight. <sighs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, but I also agrees. think it's interesting the the use again once again the use of colors. It reminds me of Money Penny skirt, Q's sweater, and now just the the hue of the light. All three of these supportive figures all have sort of like the same glow to them. Although, yeah, it's very blue. Yeah, and so I, I think that you know the 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 flashlight's a bad call, but you know, yeah. Um, well, he's not I a train agent. I'll just—that's no, the best thing you can say. Yeah, we've got to see where they're going. They might fall over. Well, we're right. Talking about this, who, who is who is paying Kincaid to look after this place all these years? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. He does it what, out of what, loyalty. What podcast was it that we were talking about him milking the cows? I can't remember that. Oh, <laughs> that was one. yeah, we that talked is. about that. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> why is he there? And why did they get rid of all of the shotguns and all? What happens stuff? to the dogs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that always awful. bothers my wife. What happens to the dogs? Yeah, I think the scene with uh, the destruction of his childhood home is like a very interesting. I'm thinking about it now. Very interesting contrast to the scene that we saw the fight sequence with, um, with all the glass work and all the lights, and it was like super modern and you know really futuristic and and well advanced. Whereas the materials here are it's all wood. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be historical, burning down the past in order for Bond to emerge. And so I think even just visually, um, this just the set itself and where Bond the Bond film ends versus where it started from. I think that it's it's a really interesting transition from the pre-credit sequence with limited technology, then like the hyper-modernity happening um, in, in the middle of it, and then back to sort of just like uh, sort of the, 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 the wood and the bones and, and the stone of his past. So I think just visually and spatially, it's an interesting journey that we're taking in this film. Mm-hmm. As an aside, uh, um, away from those lofty thoughts, like we just saw uh, Judy Dench and she's struggling. It's like it. I remember seeing this the first time. It was not clear to me like how badly right. was she wounded. It's like yeah. apparently quite seriously, but mm-hmm. it's like not very clear that she uh, suffered a substantial wound. And like I after I saw well, I saw it four times in theaters. Like on the fourth time. Well, maybe that was it. It still wasn't mm. entirely clear. I don't. Mm. I don't know if you remember Ben at the premiere, David. That there's there's people almost crying at the demise of the DB5. <laughs> yeah, they it were. Is, they were the it is good though. It does build to the to that. It's it, the music, everything. It's uh, for it only to be like, oh no, we can just rebuild it. Actually, you'll have it in I the know, next if, film. If, if, if they had left it alone, left yeah. it right there, it would have been a great emotional moment. But no, at the beginning of the next movie, oh yeah, we're rebuilding it. Like, yeah, oh. I completely agree. Isn't yeah. it interesting that? Daniel Craig's Bond has more of a reaction to the demise of his car than he does to Severine dying. Yeah. Oh, good point, actually. Yeah. 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 
Mm. Yeah. He's had sex with that car more than he has. <laughs> he certainly he certainly doesn't care about the house. He's I never no. liked this place anyway. Mm. Um, I do yeah, think it's so. a shame that for, for Silver's story earlier on about oh two rats in the drum are they gonna eat each other or whatever mm. the fact that him and Pond don't end up in the house together at some point is seems like a bit mm. of a missed opportunity for Silver's story to have uh, some more uh, relevance to how things play out here. Yeah, close the loop. Um, yeah, it did. Yeah, it come down to like, mono or mono. Um, yeah, maybe in one draft that did happen. I know that they were supposed to have this whole like chase through the forest and a fight at the end and stuff. Yeah. Um, because instead we get this thing where he says, "Oh, mother, mother, but." So after having like I've have have after having spent the whole movie trying to get his revenge, says, "Oh, mother, mother, mother." It's like let's kill it, kill it both you know where he like you know shoot us and we'll die the same day like at the same time like Mm. what what i mean i I kind of like that um even if it doesn't make much sense um i mean it kind of goes back to when he was sort of like faltered when he had an opportunity to kill her earlier on and it took mallory's intervention um sort of get him shooting again um i i think he does have even even when he's got the opportunity he can't um and i i don't know if that's uh Okay. You know, By the way, comment on impotence. I don't know, um, but it's yeah, it's it's something that he seems to have at a couple of points. By the way, coming up here in this uh, silhouette shot, um, they're really playing up Silva as Joker. Um, mm-hmm. You know the way his uh, hair is, to, you know, compared to the Dark Knight in two thousand eight. But to Lisa's point, um, the entire color sat, uh, the color scheme of this film now just totally changes. It we've gone from uh, you know, a kind of um, soft blues and those kinds of kind of silhouetted hues to to this, you know, fiery orange. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the entire kind of like last half of the you know, last section of this movie is is you know kind of that that warm that warm hued color, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I there's you know so that by the way, right here is what I was thinking about a fire switch I wonder, I wonder if um, the insurance, the house had contents insurance, or is it just the general insurance? Do you think they're going to claim for the shotguns that, that got sold? or do you... I think the um, shotguns that got sold got shipped out. Yeah, they did, but yeah, you could still claim. Yeah, you still claim for fraud, though. <laughs> apparently, apparently cinemas in Idaho got big cheers out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so did the dog. <laughs> it's like perfect timing with these dog barks. Yeah. So the second the second biggest lighting grid ever constructed in for a UK film was in this one too. Mm-hmm. It is quite beautiful. Second. It looks fantastic. Um so we're also going to go to yeah, get rid of that guy. Don't pick up his gun, but just yeah. like, um unnecessary fight. But it's more silhouette, like how the film began with going from, you know, walking towards the light. And again, we get Bond. And I like the idea of Bond doing actions in silhouette because I think that's part of the Bond brand. Yet we haven't really seen him do it up to really this film. So I, I like that. I like that component of the film. Like these are stunning. I could literally take screen grabs of this mm-hmm. film and just make artwork for my house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if only had to pick that gun up. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> would it have been helpful? 
I agree with, uh, I think it was James that just said it about a bit of a pointless fight here, um, in lieu, especially in lieu of like a one-on-one with Bond and the villain. I think how Silver goes out is quite disappointing. Um, and I don't know if Daniel Craig has ever had a satisfying, you know, climactic uh, uh, battle fight. with a villain, yeah. um, the main villain anyway. Oh, hi. Um, just- you just stepped up from behind me. Yeah. <laughs> Just to, just to say as well, like I said earlier, that Silver is the only one, only villain who's kind of completed his mission. But he didn't even shoot, um, like one of his henchmen kind of did. So mm, it's kind yeah. of, you know, there's, there's as as Lisa was sort of saying before, it's kind of a, a, a kind of a damp fa- feeling of failure that kind of permeates this um, this film. Mm. Um, here we go straight into the tank at Pinewood. Um, I remember um, though they had to cover the the the, the second. T- it's the second tank at point with not the outside tank. It's the indoor tank. They had to the, cover it the, the Q stage, isn't it? Yeah, is it called the Q stage? Okay. I think so. Um, um, but yeah, it, they had to kind of. They did have to kind of cover it with this uh, this fake kind of ice, so that when they did the short shooting upwards, that it. Um, that had that kind of model look to it. Um, yeah, like you say, Calvin, this is the big, the biggest fight is with, you know, it's just a nameless henchman. Yeah. Nameless goon three who looks a bit like Craig in some of these shots, the hairline, similar craggy faces. They could have made it the guy that shot him. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. That would have been something at least, even if Bond didn't know that he was the one who'd, uh, yeah, struck the fatal blow. It would have meant something. Mm. I have to explain to people sometimes, like what this is about. Like he, people don't seem to. I've, I've always understood that he's got the flare so that he can see where the hole in the ice is. But um, yeah, seems yeah, to, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah, I think it missed. I think a lot of people miss that. And yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those one of those things. Subtle. I was going to say as well. The only the, the, the two times that we've sort of seen Daniel Craig's Bond cry. And this comes back to, you know, when Peter Hunt said to uh, George Lazenby, you know, that Bond doesn't cry, so they had to right. reshoot that whole scene. The two times that we have seen him sort of cry, uh, he's been dripping wet hmm. um, to, kind, hmm. to kind of mask the fact that is he crying or is he just right. or is he just kind of soaking? Hmm. In, in the next film, he's cutting onions and you don't know whether it's... <laughs> 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 There's a, a moment here. Um, I, I I have to believe that at some point there was a draft where Kincaid died because it's so weird that Silver would like shoot and leave him alive. I believe that the shot that Silver fires at Kincaid, which misses, was done in post. Like that wasn't the intention on the set because it's such an odd moment. Kincaid, Kincaid shot first. it's just really weird and i I know why they did it because it would have sort of killed the mood of this one-on-one between silver and m if this character who we we all quite like at this point um yeah there's something about that just Mm -hmm. smacks me of like oh yeah that was that in post but yeah if that character had died it would have sort of changed the mood of the scene but the fact that he just stands there not doing anything uh throughout this is a bit odd I mean, he is in fear for his life, but I get I, again. I know that that's a post uh, post production thing. Mm. I don't know. It, it 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 just it does feel sort of awkward when when we talked about you know three people in a scene or two people in a scene earlier with Silver and Bond. Um, you know, Kincaid does feel like a a, a third wheel here very mm. much. 
Yeah. Again, it's kind of like, yeah, like I said before, he he knows that he's know that knows that she's injured and knows that probably potentially fatally so, but he's still not he's still not. You know, it's almost like he doesn't he want his what he wants to achieve isn't something that he wants to actually do. He kind mm. of it's like given the given the sort of the chances he the choice is he actually going to go through with it or not? And I think mm. that's kind of a an interesting question. I quite like it. I wonder what would have happened had Bond not turned up uh, yeah. here. But it it it's a, it's a a poor uh, exit for him. Just uh, yeah. stabbed in the back. Father's yeah, hunting knife. Like, I do like his little his little laugh. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a throwback to kind of Walken, I guess. Yeah. Um, but his whole the uh, whole way he roll. deals with it is like for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. It is it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's. But he does have a good. I think the whole last last rat standing was was lost on a lot of. It's not the clearest line. Mm -hmm. How would you have felt if if it was Judy Dench who killed him? Like in that moment, do you think that that would have taken away from the film? I think she's already caused enough death. (laughs) 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 I I would have. Personally, I would have been totally fine with it, Lisa. I think a lot of um, knowing Bond, the Bond fan community in the way that I do, I think there would have been quite a backlash to that. It would um, have been a moment think, of redemption after all her screw-ups. So. That's what I mean, like giving her that sort of moment as she's done. Oh, you're still there. Yeah, I actually think it, would, think it might have worked better. Yeah, I think it would have been good, yeah. Hmm. That's right. She could, she could have done what Domino did in Thunderball, right? Mm. But she, but she's not strictly speaking a licensed killer. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, neither can't... was Domino. No, mm. I suppose true. Um, I mean, Kincaid. she, she would be atoning for all her ago. screw ups <laughs> made throughout the movie because earlier, you know, she says, "I fucked up," and Bond says, "No, you didn't." Yes, she did. Mm. Yes, she did. Yeah. The, the only thing, Bill, is where I don't think that's the, the I don't think that's the time. To, to tell her that, though. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, she's dying in your arms. She goes, I fucked up, didn't I? And you go, yeah, no, you're right. No, it, you it, did it wasn't fuck in up. this scene. It was earlier in Stately Bond Manor when, you know, she's staring out the window. I screwed up, didn't mm-hmm. I? And then, she, and then Bond says, no, you didn't. Yes, she did. You know, it's not in this scene. Oh, well, Kincaid, I'll take my hat off. Well, I don't have anything else to do in this scene. Yeah. Mm. And again, farewell to M's. There's there's this image of Bond cradling the women that he loves the most in his arms. You had Tracy Bond in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Vesper Lynn, Casino Royale, and now you have M um dying in his arms. And I like the idea of Bond crying. I mean, I'd like to so. think that if I died and somebody loved me, they would cry too. That's also if you want to do um double double bill it's the two bond films where a character commits suicide with one bullet and takes somebody else with them or tries to yeah i like that um, judy dench's m went out this way i'm glad that we had this film i would have been really disappointed if we'd have had a film where she'd have either just you know made a cameo to transition or just even not even been in it like they just recast as oh it's someone else now i'm glad that she had this um level of importance to be honest um in the series that they felt like they needed to do this yeah, agreed, Calvin. Agreed. 
I see. Here we are on the department of uh, <laughs> environment. Environment um, <laughs> to be knocked off to... by Stephen Moffat and Sherlock. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we should. Do you know what, uh, James? We should just take turns in saying words. Meanwhile, we're about to find out M's real name for yes. those who have uh, Which, screen capture. So, so what does everybody think? Because in, um, in the Brosnan era, it was Barbara Maudsley. Right? Mm. No, well, you know what? That's, but that's in a novelization. They never said it in the movies. True. No. Um, you know what? Here's a, I'll just say it. I think I think Judy Dench plays two different M's and yeah. two different storylines. Timelines. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Yes. <laughs> that's it. I'm, way I'm, to. I'm so glad I'm so I'm so glad that people say that. I, I, I you know, I, I, I you. did a post about this years ago. I said the M of two worlds and I based that on a uh, comic book thing in DC comics from nineteen sixty one where they had two different flashes. Um and what they Anyway, it was like essentially two different universes, and that's essentially what this is. And I see some Bond fans are like really uh, stubborn. Oh, that can't be. That's science fiction. No, it's not science fiction. It's just, you know, there was one timeline, then there was another, and she happens to she happens to play an M that's like remarkably similar, but not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, of course, in the Craig timeline, she like yearns for the years uh, – for the days of the cold war but in yeah. the brosnan yeah. timelines like oh that's that's old-fashioned and that's now true it's like true. analysis so yeah her politics are the, very different aren't they yeah and mm-hmm. the, um, they, they, the, they the shot fan... the scene they reshot the scene a couple of times because craig wasn't happy with it with the whole like how do we end the movie huh the fangasm that must have, have i remember just the, the reaction to people uh seeing this 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 setup this return mm-hmm. to kind of uh, Connery era style Bond. Everyone was just like it was like the way they kind of teased it in. Everyone was so kind of excited by it. Uh, but they never really cared. Sorry, go ahead, Calvin. No, no, go ahead, Lisa. I was going to say, like, they. I was excited too. They end on this note where it feels like, and now things are back, and Bond is fully formed, and here's this top secret mm. mission, and here's like. Uh, this 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 office that's familiar and we're ready to go forward and I think that's the reason and not to just shift to Spectre but that's the reason why I felt Spectre was such a letdown because I felt that it was like what is this film I wanted Bond to then go on a mission and go do something amazing rather than continue with like the family struggle the melodrama the brooding Mm. everything's wrong with my life uh, uh, moment yeah. The problem yeah, with it that felt though, like a, Bond it, it felt like they spent three films. Casino Royale, uh, like oh, then Casino, oh, he's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think it's just like they kind of they kind of false started you three times. Yeah, and yeah. all you really want to do is kind of like, look. I like the kind of the deviation from theme from time to time. It's pretty good, but I think that there is a genuine sense amongst the fan community that they really just want to see oh, a, a very traditional idea. Bond. It's no longer a deviation if that's the new normal. Right? Uh, no. Yeah, the, it, yeah. But the, um, the 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 end with the with the traditional office and and so on. In retrospect, it's quite fitting because there was a break after Skyfall, of, of course, and so the the message really was: you better go and watch your, all the DVDs, hadn't you? Yeah. <laughs> also, also, that <laughs> portrait the in the new M's office plays off the portrait 
that uh, Bond and Q saw in the mm-hmm. museum. Because in the uh, earlier scene, it's like the ship being towed out to uh, be junked. And in the uh, yeah. M's office, it's the, I guess it's the same ship, but in yes. its glory. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ralph Fiennes got to pick out a new painting for the new office in No Time to Die. So we'll get to see what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really talk about the soundtrack at all, did we? Other than that one mm-hmm. bit about Thomas Newman. Because Thomas Newman's score was, it was a bit divisive when this film first came out. And I think a lot of people have changed their minds about it since. Hmm. Well, it, I thought it was fine. Uh, the problem is like a lot of it got recycled in Spectre. Yeah. Um, because the comment I made at the time was that uh, in Spectre, it reminded me not so much of an original score as something a music supervisor did going back through uh, existing tracks, <laughs> putting it, oh, we don't have a we don't have enough money to actually do a new score. So we'll like go through the existing tracks and thanks to all the construction crews. Also, I was going to say about Thomas Newman, while it's fine, there was something about it bothered me at the time and I couldn't place my finger on it. And then in early 2013, Steven Soderbergh had a movie. It was like in February or so of 2013 and Newman scored it. And I was like, as I was watching the movie, suddenly it like dawned on me. It's like, this Soderbergh movie is like, it meshes better. It's just like um, the comparison I made was in Skyfall. It's it's like having somebody wear a suit that's like not the right size. It like looks okay, but uh, it's just not quite, it's, it's not optimum, put it that way. And you may all tell me I'm, full of crap but that, that's how i that's how i still I feel was, about it sam mendes is the kind of house composer for his projects was not necessarily the best fit for a bond film yeah i, I actually agree and I, I i like this score a lot but it 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 was not to peg down when specter came out and it was like oh he just does the exact same thing only not as good in that to the extent that you know just reusing cues um beat for beat um uh, yeah, the, 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 there are parts of it that I really like. He does that sort of, you know, wannabe Hans Zimmer stuff quite good, like the build, like when mm-hmm. um, Skyfall's burning down, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's not a favorite. It's not memorable. Like, I know that we're talking about the score, but like, and I know we're watching it without the music. I cannot like even hum to you like two bars of any piece of music no. other than Adele's title track like i think for me the music that stands out is that song and don't ask me to say any other like lyrics other than skyfall from her song like i'm always surprised when i listen and i find out that there's other lyrics to it because it's just skyfall skyfall like i'm like what is skyfall it did it it, certainly served its purpose but that's the only thing that's memorable music wise to me in this film in the shanghai sequence when bond grabs the bottom of the elevator as uh the you know the villains going up, that sounds. I mean, it sounds like a swipe of uh, Hans right. Zimmer, uh, you know, from The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises or mm. Batman Begins or whatever. It just it's it's like it sounds just like a swipe, and mm. um, you know, essentially at times, not throughout the score, Newman seems to be delivering Hans Zimmer light mm. to me. Mm. I. I'm going to go out here and uh, add my five cents, which is just that it's not, I mean, pretty much as Lisa says, it's just sort of there. It just sort of exists. 
and I, it, it doesn't kind of um, like it, like Lisa said, I can't hum a single bar of it. I it's, couldn't tell. It's just, it's just, it, it's obviously it's in the movie, but I, I have I, apart from Adele's song, I, I can't really think of like any real cues or anything that, that yeah. jump out. I think if you watch like a John Barry school, film with a John Barry score, that's the thing that lingers with you after the film finishes. Yes. Yeah, mm. absolutely. With, with Thomas Newman, the film's over. That's it. There's no. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Barry, you, I mean, you can, people can, not just Bond, Bond films, you know, that he's done so many yeah. uh, iconic um, scores and pieces of music that people that have lingered in our kind of collective subconsciousness for so long. This, this has nothing that, that kind of resonates for me, uh, which is unusual considering, I mean, Adele, obviously Adele was the first person who, uh, I mean, I know it's not, she, you know, it's not composed by him, but, um, you, you know, that was part of the whole thing as well was like, it was the first Oscar and first Grammy winning track. Right. Um, and it all tied up into that whole kind of sense of Britain being wonderful and great and the nationalism and the pride. Um, but actually stepping back from Skyfall now and watching it with some distance on it from, from all of that uh, kind of that, that's that swell of zeitgeist. I, it, it doesn't to me hold up as well as some of the other bonds and you know it's is it is it any more enjoyable than um quantum solace or you know no, i mean yes yes it's much more enjoyable. <laughs> well also also specifically as it relates to thomas newman he also did a, a score for a 2015 movie called bridge of spies which was mm -hmm. based on real life events directed by steven spielberg um at that point, very long movie, very, very long movie, it, but it was very good. And I thought uh, uh, Newman's score was excellent. And again, that struck me that kind of film is more in his wheelhouse than a Bond film is. Mm. Again, yeah, go, going back right. to my comparison of a guy wearing clothes that aren't quite his size, but you can get by with it. Um, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good uh, comparison, Bill. It isn't, it isn't quite his fit. Um, he does a, he does a, a, a decent job, but I don't think it's. It, I don't think I mean, it's his ballywick. And, and, After all and of for that, the uninitiated, I love the, the jellyfish sequence, though. I mean that that's cracking. That bit of score and the direction, the silhouettes, as Lisa said. I think that's. It all comes together. I think and deacon cinematography. I, I, but but James, I'm so kind of lost in the cinematography and the, and the mm. uh, the fight choreography. Well, isn't no, that a I great thing? Isn't that a great no, I thing? I don't even... That those two things were so standout that the music kind of got lost. The music for that is actually yeah. still pretty good. Mm -hmm. Well, also, just you know, just to for the uninitiated, the Newmans are like this Hollywood film music dynasty. They were originally like three brothers. Alfred, of whom Thomas is a son of, was like what, Thomas, Lionel, and Emil. And it's like... And so you've got Randy Newman. Like, I, I don't know who is the son of who or whatever, other than Thomas is the son of Alfred. But, uh, I mean, Alfred Newman, Thomas's father, composed the what was has been known as the 20th century um, Fox fanfare. Dun, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. um, 
and like you know did many fine films uh, scores for many fine films and um you know so i mean so thomas newman's a pro i i don't mean to sound like i think well, he's a he's hack no or anything yeah all right yeah, he's no Eric Serra. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, some left, some left field choice with no experience in this right. kind of movie. But yeah. it just, it just doesn't seem to me personally, based on the two movies he did, that Bond's quite in his wheelhouse. But so. this is, yeah. this is, this is the effect. And two things I'm kind of critical about the new producing ethos is: you give a director now, they give directors choice on those things. Was before they did not, right? So you take the rough with the smooth. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? And um, the other thing that kind of sticks in my craw about this film, which I love this film, but the thing that really irritates me is I want to throw something at the screen when I see an interview of Barbara Broccoli saying how she's all advocating twenty um, first century ethics mm-hmm. and the rise of women mm-hmm. and all that. So it's like mm-hmm. this is like the worst example in the whole freaking franchise. Yep for those things that you're supposed to be championing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, I saw it and you approved it and you think it's great. Well, yeah. um, which this, is it? Well, this and is again, I, I go back to what, with the whole film. Also, I go my back to what problem. I said. Sorry. I go back to what go I said ahead, earlier where uh, Bond with Severin's demise, it's like, it's awful. It is, he behaves awfully. It's like, yeah, I get it. He's fighting for his life, but like it would have taken just a few seconds after Silva has been, you know, captured for him to like look at Severin and just have a few moments. I mean, it would have been like 20 seconds with like a little appropriate music. Like, a, and I cited a couple examples from the earlier films, but they couldn't even do that. No, he's beaten it on his chest figuratively. Radio, like how smart he is, and when in reality well, he's stumbled into Silva's trap. But let's just run down the list of female characters in this film. Um, Bond's, I guess, concubine, I guess, in the beginning in Turkey, who is kind of in bed with him and giving him affection and he's staring off into middle distance like he doesn't give two shits walks out and leaves yeah. right mm-hmm. is that Ent- entirely got, disposable <laughs> disposable and you got money penny who under orders you know makes a mistake doesn't get redemption gets demoted um mm. m causes the death of agents through her actions and doesn't get redemption um who else severine obviously we've talked about uh they're all treated terribly. Who who decides to berate M? Yeah, and is proven wrong within you know five minutes of her doing that speech. Yeah, and I think it raises a really good point. And I I I think it's easy to talk the talk when it comes to pushing for you know women in film and strength in film. And just because you're a woman, it doesn't mean that the films that you make are going to be um, equitable um, or progressive. Um, or even feminist. I think that there's this idea, if we have a woman who makes it, all of a sudden things are going to be decidedly feminist. I'm like, what film industry are you are you working in? Right. Um, and so I think though, you know, Barbara Broccoli has been someone who has stated that she is supportive of women. And I, I even want to look at the credits and say, well, how many women are playing key roles, key creative roles? How many women are writing this script? How many women are involved in, you know, cinematography, oh, the, production? The costume designer. You know, and, and beyond costume design, which is which typically is seen as being right. more of what I'm saying of, is that's yeah, that's, that's the only major role in the 
True. And, and, true. and, I, and I think you said so. It, it, and when you have, as we we've gone through the the laundry list of women, um, and 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 there's so many issues and so many problems with it. And I think that there is something to be said. And I and I always argue for just having a diversity of voices and interpretations coming into the creative process. Because again, as as Bill mentioned, I mean, there's there's these little things that you see and. 30 seconds or, or, or change here or change there would have made a world of difference for so many of us watching this film where we could be like, yeah, Skyfall, I get it. Best Bond film ever. I can't say that because I watch it and I'm just like, and women suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, also, also real quick, it, you don't even have to be in terms of progressive or even feminist. You can yeah. just be in terms of even handed. And I'll just yeah. keep this really brief. I'm not going to get into specifics. So there's a 1966 Euro spy film that's remarkably similar to Moonraker. And they have this one scene that's like remarkably similar to what would be in Moonraker where the guy breaks into the woman's, place and turns out she's an agent too just for an allied nation and but in the 66 movie it's much more even-handed as opposed to the bond and holly sequence in moonraker where it's essentially bond shows up holly look i know all what your gadgets are whereupon in the earlier movie it's like it's much more equal and it's much more and it's it's really weird because the scene is very similar the way how it plays out, but uh, yeah, but Bill, it's, it's, there is there's the diff. The primary difference would be is if you you wore your progressiveness and feminin- feminism on your sleeve in the yes. way that Barbara Broccoli has done. Um, yeah. It's one thing to kind of make two films that are kind of like, well, this one's a little bit more progressive, and maybe this one is a, you know. And bear in mind that you know those two, the two examples that you've you've given there are films from the you know, the, the 60s and the 70s. Um, Barbara Broccoli has made quite a lot of uh, very overt statements about uh, about how she wants to take this franchise, um, her, her political feel, views, uh, you know, and, and, and said very strongly that she's a feminist. So that's why it's much more of an egregious example when you have a film that, Oh, I understand. The, the, the I, I, I get where you're that. coming from exactly. I, I was about to say the 66 movie I said it was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who was not exactly renowned for being progressive in his <laughs> politics. Um, no, and uh, but that's but that's I think one I of think, the, uh, the, the greater disappointments in it is I'll, that, that you know, I'll, I'll come out and say, Ben, it's the hypocrisy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I which and is I a think strong strong accusation, but I think it's fairly leveled at this one. Uh, yeah, and and I think that it did it did get that 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 level of kind of criticism about it, but what upsets me as well is it kind of got a double down inspector, where the same thing happens. You know, he leaves the he leaves the girl in the hotel room. Uh, the way he um, approaches, um, yeah, the way that he approaches Monica Bellucci's character um, after having literally just killed her you know her husband even you know whatever the, the, the relationship there is but but that is really as almost as problematic for me yeah. as the shower scene is yes and so I, I feel like you know it's one thing to have maybe gone oh shit maybe this film wasn't as the progressive film that I thought it was going to be I'll just make sure that the next time we do something like this I'll 
I'll have it covered. No, she's she's doubled down on it again and signed off on on all of those all of those things that happened within that. And so I think that's that's one of the reasons why I find it problematic. Also, it's an um, easy uh, storyline for entertainment uh, for writers at entertainment news sites to just run with. Where upon I don't think they necessarily check it out fully. Anyway, um, well, I mean, and and this in the shadow of all the pre-publicity of No Time to Die being a woke film, right? Mm. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people surprised when they get finally get to see that film and realize it ain't. It won't be. I mean, there'll it, be. I genuinely not, think it, there'll be a. There'll it's be not some woke, elements it may of it be in sleeping, there. but uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 that kind of moment where you've woken up in the morning. Uh, before you've got your first cup of coffee um, and you haven't quite looked at your phone yet. It's, it's that kind of uh, era of woke. Um, <laughs> still, there's still elements of your dream that's still kind of, and you go, where am I? Where am I? Yeah. Anyway, um, I, 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 I think, just as a kind of a, a roundup of what I feel about this film, just to kind of get it out of the way, a 30 second kind of like, this is, this is what I feel about the film now. Um, I remember coming out of the press screening. I think it was James, um, a couple of other people like AJ Chowdhury. Um, yeah. And uh, I think uh, who else was there? Um, you know, like it was a kind of a litany of kind of like, uh, um, you know, Dave Worrell was there. The old and, guard. The old guard of kind as we of are like, now. Pe- as we are now. The, but, but people who've had old guard, kind of a- you guys. Oh, please. You guys. Well, we've you know we've we've kind of. Oh, had no, this, I say this- that I say that, Bill, because the old guard before us don't do it anymore. So we no, are I now the old guard. I understand. It's like uh, like I'm about to turn sixty two on Monday. It's like you know, like I don't no. want to hear about you guys complaining about being old. Excuse what me. I mean by well, that is what I mean by that is covering this stuff for twenty years. Old guard. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so there we were. We we all emerged from the Odeon Leicester square and made our way over to the nearest pub. Um, and even though the, the kind of the general consensus reaction within the, um, within the theater was very positive and that, you know, there was laughs and cheers when these people who sat around who I, and I don't want to say that they're cynical. They're not. We're not cynical. We, we, According to our iTunes expect- reviews, we are very cynical. Then, <laughs> apparently, I know. Um, <laughs> but we're, but we're experienced, and I think it's you know that that's that's something that we and we anyway. All of these people who have pretty much got. I mean, AJ, for example, literally wrote the book on Bond. So right. we're bringing all of this experience together, and, and we kind of said, "What do we all think of that?" And the initial reaction was kind of like seven, eight out of ten. Wasn't that good, was it? I, I think it was. It could have, you know. And that. But I think we all agreed it was going to be immensely popular. Oh, we all. And that was the thing, James. We sat down and we said, we didn't like it particularly, but we thought that this was going to be the biggest Bond film that, that was. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we all agreed that. And. Lo, lo and behold, that came to pass. But I don't feel like my feeling towards it has radically changed. I feel like it. the reason that it's as successful and as much beloved as it is, is very much a, a product of timing. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. Being, and now, being now it's seeping into nostalgia, isn't it? 
Yeah. So I don't think it's the film. And I think in the years to come, it reminds me a lot of Goldfinger in the sense that everybody thinks Goldfinger is this, you know, the perfect Bond movie in a lot of well, ways. Except for the people that vote on their Twitter posts. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Where are you? But there, is, but there is this kind of idea that, you know, it's the fan favorite or it's the, it's the best one of the bunch. But really, it's, it's only kind of for stepping back and then giving it some, some consideration and some, some critique that you start to go, actually, maybe it's not as good. Maybe it was just a part of the, of, of the feeling of the time. And I think Goldfinger was a success because partly because of the way things were happening in 64. Yeah. And I think the same thing happened for Skyfall. It was part of just being 2012. And that's my roundup. So that doesn't really set no time to die up for 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 a good reception, does it? Because I think most people would agree it's been a bit of shit year. So <laughs> you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you're looking at like, is the success of a Bond film in some ways tied to the general audience's feeling at the time in the world? No, I, I meant I, I meant you think it's been a shit year, do you? <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I don't have a better point of comparison. <laughs> um, if, if we're doing roundups, um, maybe I should go next because I am one of the. I champion this film. I absolutely adore it as an and a piece of entertainment. I think it's fantastic, and I, I think you can't undersell that yes it came out at a time when it was a very patriotic year um it was you remember there was a time when it was nice to be british and Mm -hmm. you felt like it was uh had some positivity connected to it um so yeah there was all that as well but even now in the years you know i i've got a lot of family who are very casual you know they know that i like bond obviously and they're like oh yes uh we remember watching skyfall at the cinema that's a really good one and this is one that if i at a relatives and they you know were in an evening watching a film or something they'll always suggest skyfall because it's like it, it is a crowd pleaser and it is um one of the more popular ones i mean you know the, the trailers for 1917 did not say sam mendes the director of spectre <laughs> right. they went to skyfall right. and i think it does hold a very special place in general audiences hearts and for me as well I'm aware that there are flaws, narrative, um, you know, uh, social, um, <laughs> all these things. <laughs> there is so many, but I don't care because I'm entertained enough and that's what this film succeeds at. It's It, it does not succeed in, you know, often we break down Bond films into the elements, mm-hmm. be it, you know, gadgets, cars, Bond girls, uh, Bond villains, hench people, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it necessarily really scores top marks in any of those categories, glamorous locations, um, whatever, sex appeal. Um, and yet it I, I think it is immensely entertaining. Um, it might have just been a flash in the pan. Sam Mendes clearly proves with his next Bond film that he didn't necessarily have the, the Midas touch for these things. Um, but as, as a thing of itself, I think it's I think it's really quite lovely and entertaining. I never get bored watching it. It's um, high ranking that's, for me. Um, that's a I'm, fair. That's a fair comment. <laughs> I'm, I was going to say when the movie was in theaters the first time here in the U.S., you know, it was number one the first 
two weeks, I think, maybe three. Um, but then it, it, it had really what they call legs. Mm-hmm. It like stayed performing for quite a while. And then like in the, maybe the first week in December before the Christmas movie started coming out, it popped up and was like number one again. Yep. Um, mm. And also in terms of the scene with the Aston Martin, uh, I saw the movie four times in the theater and every time they showed that Aston Martin, it got a rise from the audience and it makes no sense logically. It makes no sense. Um, you know, because Purvis and Wade originally wrote it as the car bond one in the casino Royale. But, um, well, you know, despite the fact it makes no sense logically, thematically, whatever, audiences loved it. This, and so yeah. I think it hit it was it hit the beats more often than not. And for whatever flaws it has, um, audiences liked it. And that's just, you know, so when Mendes made that decision, it you know, the car should be the Goldfinger car. Um and that on that case he was right. And um, you know, when I remember I did my original review, I was kind of going between B and B plus, and I kind of fell on B plus, but just kind of barely, but I gave it a B plus. And I I made mention of a, a friend of mine who doesn't like Craig films, and I remember he he emailed me and said, I'm disappointed in your review. It was like because <laughs> he's sorry, that's how I felt. And uh <laughs> And I had done, I had done, even done some posts separate from the review about things you should like look past when watching Skyfall, like how far Bond falls at the, right. you know, at the end of the pre-titled sequence, and and some other things that, like again, don't make logical sense. But you know, so here's a here's a hypothetical here's a hypothetical for you then, Bill. Based, I, mean, I completely agree with you about the car, and like it was a crowd-pleasing decision versus logic. Given that. Yeah. If Connery had a played Kincaid, I think every single general audience she went to would have had a cheer when they saw Connery too, and it would have driven yeah. it would have driven Bond fans nuts. <laughs> it would have, yeah, I agree, yeah. Particularly if they could have kept it a secret, kept a lid on it, uh, and so like people really didn't find out about it till like either when the movie came out or just before it came out. Um, yeah, that would have got. You mean like big. Grace Jones in No Time to Die? <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little better than that <laughs> but yeah it would have been it would have gotten a huge rise from the audience certainly here in the united states it would have mm-hmm. i think it's interesting um that all of you are talking about seeing this film in the theater and i guess i don't know if people are going to hate on me for this but i rarely go to the movie theater um again as a film scholar it's so much easier just to stay at home with a notepad or a computer and work from there um but I remember I was teaching my gender and James Bond class and the film came out. I didn't go see it. And I knew, I just knew deep down inside that the second I saw it, the amount of work that I would have to do to make my way through this film. Like I just knew that there was so much meat there to sink my teeth into. Um, and then I waited and I waited and I waited. I had the semester end and then I went and then I had the film come. I, I, I had the DVD and I watched it. And I was like, and this is why I waited. Um, and I remember there's just, there's so much. And I think it, it's one of those things as a Bond fan, as Calvin says, like you have to, you have to make these negotiations, right? Between things that are problematic in every film, right? Um, and then things that you really like. And for me, this film, 
I can see why people really like this film. I think it's beautifully shot. I I can feel the sentiment uh, behind it. I love the idea, at least in theory, of Bond finally emerging. Like we've had three films and here he is. And this is the end of that chapter. Bond's fully emerged. Um and there's, there's, there's so much familiar iconography in it with Bond standing over the cityscape. You know, that's the Sherlock uh, shot, right? And then there's these other elements that I find a, a bit more troublesome, problematic, but also these troubling elements give me my career. Like I'm making, I'm, I'm writing books on them and, you know, I can talk about them um, through blogs and articles and on podcasts. Um, and so they are problematic, but it's also um, material for me to, to, to think through and to really ask this question is this what's necessary? You know, do we want something a little bit different or better? Can we progress beyond these representations? And so for me, as a fan of Bond, I always want to be able to say like, we can just do a little bit better. That's not necessary. And when I look back at some other Craig films, when I look at Vesper Lynn or Camille Montez, you know, women who, again, not without their problems, but both women I can connect with and fans connect with them and you can see their arcs and how they, how they develop as characters and they have purpose and, you know, you're cheering for them and rooting for them and you're devastated if things don't go well for them. Those are the types of characters and especially female characters that I want to see in a Bond film. I want to be invested. I want multifaceted characters and not women who are disposable subjects. And I think um, Monica Bellucci's character, Inspector, you're right on the nose. Like after this, I saw her and I'm like, what the heck am I watching? Um, it felt so regressive. Like we learned nothing nothing from Skyfall and the, the critiques that came from it. And for me, and again, this is just my, my feeling, it made me want a different script writing team for the Bond franchise. If you can't come up with something better after two mm. films, and if you can't, if you just continue to repeat the same thing over and over again, just to get these box office returns, which you did not meet, I think it's time for somebody fresh and new. And I think there's a lot of weight um, oh, what is her name? She's amazing. Who's who's brought on Phoebe Waller uh, Bridge? Phoebe Waller Bridge. Phoebe Waller Bridge. That's the champagne. Um, third glass. There it is. Um, <laughs> but bringing Phoebe Waller Bridge, I also think that that's a lot of pressure to put on her shoulders and only her shoulders. Like somehow she's gonna fix or change or edit or add. And for me, she should have been there from the the outset. From, from the creative oh. outset of, of the well, film. And I feel well, as also, success or failure will be put on her shoulders, whereas I think it really should be Purvis and Wade uh, I, and the script writing team. And it's time to say, you know what? You've done really great work. Maybe it's time for fresh ideas and more diversity in terms of our writers, in terms of gender, gender expression, sexual orientation, and race. so on. Like, let's, let's just let's can I, more. Lisa, can I just say, hi. I put a poll up. Hi. I put a poll up on my Twitter the other day that just basically said, would you prefer to never, ever see another Bond film ever again? They don't make them ever again or uh, um, and, and have all these elements within it or have those elements expunged, the sexism, the ableism, the homophobia. All of that goes out of it, but we continue to make Bond films. 30% of people that responded to that poll said that they would rather never see a Bond film again. Hmm. So you have to bear in mind, I think, that you know, whilst you and I um, and pretty much everyone on this panel 
uh, would like to see those elements expunged. There is a large part of the the fan base that do not and not do not do not only want them to um, to to remain, but they feel that they are an essential element yeah. to the films, um, which is I think one of the most disturbing things for me. And I think well, though, I, I, it has to be seen in a broader context because, you know, you have the James Bond franchise now competing in, in, in an inflated box office market. It is a billion dollar box office market and you are no longer just relying on your, your traditional fan base to go see these films. You need to reach out to mm-hmm. younger audiences and audiences worldwide. And so I know that there's a lot of things that you have to navigate in that way. But if you look at the pulse of younger viewers, if you listen to my students, I have had students say there is absolutely nothing for me in a Bond film. Like this Bond, these older mm. Bond films are not speaking to me and they see a little bit of hope in some of the Craig era films, but they're like, oh, I wouldn't pay to go see more Bond films. Like I'm taking your course because it's an academic class, but a lot of them are saying there's nothing for me. And I think that is also a, a, a demographic who needs to be heard. And, you know, for me, the gun barrel sequence is central to Bond, you know, a suit, a tuxedo, central to Bond. But sexual consent should also be sec- should be central to Bond, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think times do change and, and some of these elements will not track well with people who are going to then move, you know, that, 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 that mark to the billion dollar uh, and that profit margin you're looking for. And I think that's also like, it's, it's a really, it's, it's a balance between, you know, fan bases and where they stand. But I, I see cinema in general, it is starting to move in a certain direction and you have to either sort of move with that or, or, or you might not be making too many more films. That's, I, that's I don't exactly what I was going to say, Lisa. I said without whom yeah. this franchise cannot continue because you won't be making mm. a 200 and 250 million budgeted movie in five to 10 years time without that audience. Yeah. Also, no. I, also you're talking about billion dollars it was a billion dollars now with um, the pandemic and restarting theaters we'll see if billion dollar uh at least routine billion dollar uh box office is possible um because it remains to be seen how theaters are going to reopen under what conditions yeah. you know is it 25 percent, 50 percent of capacity whatever um which is really fascinating when we think of yeah. recalibrating the, the film yeah. industry. But plus the survey that came out a couple of weeks ago that said 60 something percent of Americans wouldn't feel comfortable going back to a theater up to six months after the virus has gone away, yeah. which is not 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Right. So a topic for another day, yes. but something to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, so we're, Three hours of recording, guys. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to finish on this. Um, Skyfall had a massive, massive general audience. But to your point, Lisa, I, I don't think it brought in any new fans in any significant numbers um, to the franchise. And that was not helped by the gap and not helped by the gap subsequent and not helped by the current gap. I mean, if I'd like, if you were, if, if Skyfall was the first movie you went to see a, a in the cinema, you're, you're 10 years older now, more or less, by the time you go see No to Die, No Time to Die, and you've seen two of the films. I mean, that's yeah. not exactly momentum. 
Well, it? also, there was a, a Sony executive who told a gathering of uh, theater executives, said, we will have the next movie out in two years. And then Barbara Broccoli and Daniel Craig slapped him down yeah. publicly in an interview. So it's like, clearly, Eon was not on the same page with Sony in this in this regard. Um, so we'll see. David, you've been very quiet. Well, I'm not really a fan of Skyfall, as you may have realized by now. Um, I remember in in the months leading up to Skyfall, I, I made it a point of seeing a, a few uh, Sam Mendes films. And I, I think probably the only film of his that I um, had seen and associated with him was, was American Beauty. And, yeah. uh, um, and so I had a bit of a gap in my knowledge and uh, I started to realize that I thought he was a bit overrated as a director uh, in the lead up to that and which uh, when I saw Skyfall I realized that um, my my view that I picked up uh, was right because uh, I mean there are are a few things about Skyfall that I I don't like, and one of the one of them is is just the the whole middle section in London and so on. I just the whole thing just drags for me so much, and uh, I, I wish it. Uh, I just wish it could be cut out of the movie completely. But uh, on the other hand, uh, it, it looks it looks fantastic. But you know that's not really well. I, I, maybe I, maybe I should give Mendes some credit for that because uh he hired the cinematographer but uh for me a, a lot of the problem is that it, it it seems to be like a bunch of scenes which are just kind of connected uh in in and it's just like join the dots it's just uh you know okay we need to we need to introduce q we need to introduce money penny and uh we need to do this we, we need to have the aston martin and, and uh and it doesn't feel like uh, a whole film in a way. I think to me, it just um, it it it's just a lot of little bits that are, are all con- that they're, they've been lumped together in the same two and well, nearly two and a half hours, and and that's it. And it uh, so for me, it doesn't really work at all well as a Bond film. Mm. We haven't even mentioned that he never even got the drive back with the names on, but you know, <laughs> yeah, in the list of failures. Oh yeah, the film. that. Uh, I mean, that's. Uh, yeah, that's one of the uh, one. I really find this whole m- motif of the agents' names and alias list, as I like to call it, the knock um, list, as Mission out. Impossible first used it. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, do. Do try to make an acronym out of what I just said. Um, and, um, yeah, the knock list was the original one. Um, it's the idea that like every, everyone's, um, you know, secret identity is on a, on some kind of disc somewhere. It, it gets used in so many films as a, as a MacGuffin. I, I really felt like even, even by the time that it came out in Skyfall, mm-hmm. that it was a, an overused MacGuffin. Um, did Johnny, did Johnny English use it before or after Skyfall? I, I can't remember, to be honest with you, but the, the, I guess the point still stands right. that, you know, if you can name five films that have the same 
basic MacGuffin in it. But the difference being is that even in those films, they're the driving MacGuffin, they're the driving factor. This gets forgotten about about 10 minutes into the film and all of these agents basically being exposed and, uh, you know, or is that, a, is that a narrative that we're just dropping and forgetting about? It feels very, uh, yeah, it just, it, 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 it feels like um, they, they just, in, a, in a litany of, of bad narrative ideas, um, that one pop, does pop out quite, quite strongly. I don't know. I mean, the very nature of a MacGuffin is that, you know, whether or not you care about it, you know, it's a Hitchcock term, obviously. Do we care about the plans that, you know, Cary Grant is, Mm -hmm. you know, mistaken for holding in North by Northwest or what are the 39 steps? None of it really matters if the film is done well enough. Um, And for me anyway, Skyfall is done well enough. I don't really, I I forget about the the list of names. And when I remember it, it doesn't bother me as such because I I don't care about them necessarily. They don't give me a reason to care. I am fine with it just being a plot device. You don't care about those agents. They risk their lives. They risk their lives for you, Calvin. They They risk their whole lives for you and all the you can say is I don't care yeah well in cinematic terms I mean you know cinema cinema uh, stakes and uh, you know what you you know I, I, I don't condone capital punishment but I there is a cinematic catharsis behind seeing a villain die right. in a satisfying way um, true I, I did have a true. writing lecturer who was sort of like did equate just like oh you know real world um, ideology to cinematic terms which I think is very wrong yeah, listen. but yeah. Anyway, different yeah, conversation. You, no, but an interesting one. But you're you're, yeah. you're right, I guess. But at the same time, I kind of just feel like I, w- I kind of wish it had gone somewhere. It, it kind of just negates all of their lives and 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 Ronson and Ronson's sacrifice. Right. <laughs> well, for you know, double nine sacrifice an octopusy. I don't think Bond spared a tear over that, or whoever died, Bane's in Man with the Golden Gun. Um, when when we do the expanded Bond universe, we can have a Ronson prequel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll make Ben happy. Hmm. I, I just wonder whether Ronson was supposed to be, you know, they. This is uh, this is a bit of an aside a side topic, but you've got Agent Carter in in um, uh, Casino Royale oh, <laughs> in Casino Royale you've got Agent Carter in, in that who is an armed MI6 agent on a mission with Bond uh, who, who presumably isn't a double O and presumably isn't doesn't have a license to kill but is an armed agent you have the same thing with Ronson and Eve they're both mm. armed double O but they're not double O agents they're both, but they are both armed agents on these missions, where do they stand? Do they are you know defined? Yeah, Mitchell and Quantum as well. Yeah, Mitchell and Quantum. Mm. So these are these are armed MI6 agents who you, you know are given a degree of license to wound. <laughs> <laughs> Their job reviews are coming up soon. They're kind of hoping to I, show off. And I just I, and I also wonder, you know, uh, obviously we've had. Rap, uh, Silver is supposed to be a double O agent, or pre- a, a previously been one, um, and we had the same thing with Trevelyan. 
where you know he's he's a, a prior double O agent. Well, I don't think Silver um, was a double O necessarily. He was head of sec- he was the, her lead agent in Hong it, Kong, but it's not explicit that he was a double O. He might oh, have been not, head of no, section. Yeah, you're right. So okay, so maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't a double O. He was. He was doing such a dazzling job uh, fooling the Chinese. <laughs> but he is very much sort of pitched as another, um, you know, dark side of Bond, much like Christopher yeah. Lee and um, Sean Bean. And I think he was probably written more that way, from what I gauge from, like, you know, listening to Sam yeah. Mendes talk. I think Javier Javier Bardem, first of all, the casting of him, and also what he brought to it, like his, you know, choice for the hair and for the fake mm-hmm. teeth and these things. It it changed the character somewhat from what I think they were going for originally, for the better. I think I'm glad we've got this mm. rather than some sort of boring like oh this is you know I, I think it would have been an interesting parallel if the character had been more like bond because this is what you know the effect that emma's had on these two different agents um but i, I like mm. what we get i do too um but I, I do think it would be an interesting thing to sort of uh understand where where these agents fit into the kind of world and, and yeah. why mm. we only why we only ever see kind of bond as uh it'd be nice to kind of have a, a an understanding of like the, the difference between a double o and i know it's, and it's don't forget charles robinson killed. yeah yeah robinson i mean he to all you know is is he tanner's replaced sort of like i, I guess that's what he was originally written in as like a kind of a, yeah but charles um, robinson is star, Char- but, charles robinson is armed but bill tanner is not yeah so Charles Robinson isn't armed. He goes out on missions. He kind of acts as M's bodyguard, but also as chief of staff. It's he's an interesting character um, that's never really kind of looked at. Um, mm. And again, you know, uh, to to Lisa's point earlier, a kind of a, a diversity, uh, you know, like not a diversity hire necessarily, but like uh, it's nice to nice to sort of see kind of MI six having a little bit of diversity diversity in it in the in the 90s and then kind of just completely forgotten about but um i do i do like i do like him as a character and um i don't really know where i'm going with this line of uh, thought but i just thought it's <laughs> interesting that um the agents are exist within the bond universe but they are very uh they're very ill-defined as to their kind of their roles mm. Hmm. That's that was it. I just I, I think after three hours without food, I just. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, votes for next week. Let's do this quickly. Uh, free for all. David, you can go first because you if you have to go. Uh, I'll say Spectre. <laughs> going to do it. Oh, right. oh, oh, we that. Oh no, we did Quantum. Oh yeah. Uh, Lisa, birthday girl. What would you like? Um. Your birthday wish. There we go. I love Octopussy, so let's do it. Mm. Good choice. I voted for that. Uh, I nominated that one before. Uh, if it gets picked, I will be very, very happy. Bill? Yeah. Bill, what would you like? Thunderball. And yeah. God damn it. Um, okay, so I was... <laughs> I was going to pick a Connery just to be kind of, um, this is going to end up splitting the vote now. <laughs> no, uh, no. Um, I have a feeling what you're going to write. I'm going to write it down and see if you say it. <laughs> oh, duh. so I'm going to say from Russia with love. 
<laughs> really? Seriously, that's going to split the vote. I, I typed F- F-R-W-L in my notepad. So, yep. yeah, I, mean, I can I, believe I wanna, it. I'm going to change my vote to No Time to Die. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to change my vote to Diamonds Are Forever. I'm going to save Thunderball for Ooh. a time it might win. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so is that – what's Calvin's? I don't get one. No, we only get four. In, oh, uh, expect us. Oh, expect okay. So, so we've got um, we've got from Russia with Love, Diamonds of Forever, Octopussy um, Inspector, Octopussy Inspector. All right, that seems like a fairly. So, three of those titles had octopuses in at one point or another. Oh. Mm. Yeah, got to know your video games to get the third one. <laughs> <laughs> Octopus. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> um, I do. I do love the fact that they got Sean Connery back to do the From Russia with Love video game. I don't because uh, we were writing a Roger Moore game before they did that. Buggers. No, but the, my point is that like they 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 represent him as a young man, and he's got a sixty year old voice or you know 70 year old's voice at that point and it's kind of like you, you see this this young virile kind of sean connery running around and then he goes oh of course oh. <laughs> octopus oh my old enemy <laughs> red red wine with fish I 
without the security of your loving arms keeping me from home put your hand in my hand and we'll stay let the The security of your loving arms Keeping me from harm Put your hand in my hand And we'll stand 